0: Hey everybody, how are we all doing? I'm Michael. I'm with Alex as always. How's it going? And we're here with another episode of Falling Through Plotholes, a podcast about video game plot lines, the franchises that are around them, and how they have a tendency to go off the rails. And we're here with part three of our Mass Effect series, the final episode in it, as we finally wrap up the trilogy and uh, see if all those choices that they made actually ends up mattering. Alex, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing pretty good. Doing well?
0: I'm incredibly hot right now because...
1: Yeah, it's been I, a thing.
0: Yeah, I, um... This recording's a little bit delayed because I was literally down in California for reasons I won't get into. And it was a heat wave down there. And I left just in time to come back to a heat wave where, where I live. So yep. it's, uh... I'm uh, underneath a blanket. I'm mm. drinking maybe one of the worst beers I've ever tasted. <laughs> and... I feel like that sets us up perfectly to talk about a video game that's uh, going to be about as disappointing as this beer. Boy, does it. So, Alex, what's uh, what were your thoughts on Mass Effect 3 when you first played it? Do you happen to remember?
1: Okay, I remember my thoughts for a majority of it being this is pretty good. Yeah. And then I finished it, and I went, all right, okay. Yeah, and, sure. And then I thought about it for, like, 12 hours and I went
0: that sucked <laughs> oh no it was one of those experiences where yeah. like, you finish it you, like, you get out of like a movie and whatnot you're like man yeah. that, that movie was really great and you yeah, sit you're kind down of and riding
1: go, the high you're you're going with the flow of what the creators and the writers are putting down you're like alright alright I'm following that I'm following that things are happening I'm, yeah. I'm immersed I'm invested yep it's all happening okay the things have happened and now it's over and then you start to analyze.
0: Ah, uh, so this is like the Thor... This is like how I how I felt about Thor 2. Yeah. <laughs> Where I was like, Thor 2, that's a great movie. Look at that. Yeah. And, I, and I was like, wait, hold on. They really wasted Natalie Portman. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, fantastic. Yeah, I think that's mostly my thoughts on Mass Effect 3 as well. I, I'm kind of a Mass Effect 3 apologist. Mm-hmm. In the sense that I think the gameplay in Mass Effect 3 is about the best it's gotten in that series. I sure. think it does an incredibly good job with this atmosphere. Like, to give a little bit of like setup for this, Mass Effect 3 starts at right at the beginning of the Reaper invasion of the entire Milky Way. And everyone's dying, everything's going bad. And I feel like they do a really good job of having the stakes feel high and have things feel incredibly desperate. Yes and, and then yes they get to the ending And they get to the final sequences of it And it's like oh Oh no none of this mattered And this what is this ending And I mm-hmm. no Yeah
1: Um I would so I'll get into it more when we start going through it But to to me the worst parts of Mass Effect 3 Are the
0: ending And the beginning Mm. The beginning's not... Oh, man, I got a lot of things to say about the beginning of Mass (laughs) Effect 3. Because you are not wrong. The beginning of Mass Effect 3 is so terrible. It's really bad. Oh, it's so bad. (laughs) Oh, God. Well, Alex, I want to start this off by um, talking about a quote that has been living rent-free in my head for about the past, I think, about a month and a half at this point. Okay. This quote comes from an interview that J.J. Abrams gave to The Collider in regards to the most recent Star Wars trilogy. Okay. okay. So for to give you guys, everybody, home you know, context, of course, J.J. Abrams was basically to create a vision behind a new trilogy for Star Wars. That had, a let's say, an ending that wasn't great. Mm-hmm. So this quote is, Having a plan, I have learned, in some cases the hard way, is the most critical thing. Because otherwise, you don't know what you're setting up. You don't know what to emphasize. Because if you don't know the inevitable of the story, you're just as good as your last sequence or effect or joke or whatever. But you want to be leading somewhere to... You want to be leading to something inevitable. He also included this bit. I do think there's nothing more important than knowing where you're going. Now, Alex... This quote is rich, given who this is coming from. Yeah,
1: I was going to say, he's not wrong, but the fact it's coming from J.J. Abrams undercuts it a little bit.
0: Yeah, the, the, like, dude, <laughs> you, you were in charge of Lost.
1: <laughs> I watched Fringe, sir.
0: This is a... J.J. Abrams is a man who's like, okay, I want you to create the basis for something cool yeah. and interesting. And he's like, listen... I got this stormtrooper guy. His name is Finn. Sounds rad. We gonna do with him. Uh, uh. That's for somebody else to figure out. And it's like, no, no, you have to have an ending for this. Helps (laughs) to have a plan. It helps to have a plan and it helps to think of what your ending is. And, but while he does, while it's quote, this very, very rich coming from him, it it is very reflective of the thinking that a lot of creators nowadays seem to have. Mm -hmm. You're only as good as your last big thing. So work on topping that and don't worry about what happens later. Right. It's a line of thinking that with the recent failures to both Star Wars and – well, in terms of reaction, Star Wars made a ton of money. And Mm -hmm. Game of Thrones, uh, this has caused a bit of a reckoning and kind of a change in that attitude. There seems to be more of a focus now on like, okay, let's let's have an actual through line and plan to these sort of things. Because Game of Thrones, another series that had – let's call it a divisive ending. And by divisive, I mean – Everybody hated it, so actually it was very, very united. Everyone right. hated the end of Game of Thrones. It was very bad. It was very, very bad. Only full episode I've ever watched of Game of Thrones. <laughs>
1: yeah, we made you watch it, and you knew it was bad with no context.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, these, these two characters have no chemistry with each other. Are they mm-hmm. Are, they, are they supposed to be romantic? They're like, yeah. I was like, oh, huh, is that so? <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> yep. Oh, they, they burned the throat. Oh, that's symbolism. It's
1: symbolism. <laughs> the dragon understands symbolism.
0: The dragon understood symbolism. And it's good that dragon did, because unfortunately, I don't think the people behind Mass Effect 3 did.
1: <laughs> or maybe no. they
0: did a little too much.
1: So on on the mention of Game of Thrones, I think it's also worth discussing um, the Game of Thrones, the novel series. Because yes. general fan consensus around Game of Thrones is that the... TV show reached the end of the novels and then start, had to start doing its own thing. And mm. that's where the creators sort of stopped having any idea what they were doing.
0: Yeah, they sort of started winging it.
1: Yeah. No one had given them a the thing to do, so they had to start figuring it out as they went, and that led to the downfall. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing about the books is that their author, George R.R. R. Martin, has frequently said that he kind of doesn't have a plan for them either. And it's mm-hmm. unclear if that means he has only like a vague idea of where it's going to get to, or if he actually has no idea. Yeah. Um, but so, uh, things that often get sort of talked about in the same breath in that regard are the game or the uh, Song of Ice and Fire books, mm-hmm. of which Game of Thrones is the first. Vagabond, a uh, Japanese manga series, I believe. Uh, yeah that was ongoing for a number of decades i believe and just recently had a conclusion of sorts although it wasn't like a definitive ending it's just the last um the last thing that the author decided he was going to ever write about it mm. and berserk which is another japanese manga series that the author of unfortunately passed away about a month ago
0: yeah rest in peace yeah
1: and all of the, all three of these are wildly beloved series, but they're also sort of these ongoing things that it's not clear if there is a definitive end point to them. But mm-hmm. despite that, the the way that the authors conduct the journey has captured a lot of people. So it's not to say that it's impossible to write a story without knowing where it's going.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But boy, it's really hard.
0: It is. It, it's a hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing to do. I, I will say that going back to the example of anime, a lot of, like, when it comes to, like, manga series, this is obviously a problem. But with, like, anime series, oh, you yeah. have, like, 13 to 26 episodes. Like, I've always liked anime for that reason. Mm-hmm. Because they have to they have to plan for an end at some point. Right. And, and then uh,
1: sometimes you watch an anime series and you're like, oh, no, you didn't, actually. And you did not. No, you you just, just hit episode 25 and we're like, oh, crap, it has to end now. Let's let's
0: wrap this up. He has gravity bolts now. Yeah, kill God. All right. Can do. (laughs) But yeah, so Star Wars and Game of Thrones had this problem, right? But Star Wars wasn't the first sci-fi property to run into this problem. In 2012, Bioware had to figure out how to wrap up Mass Effect. And the game they made would, in the minds of many fans, fail to live up to the sheer narrative expectations that the previous two games had previously established. Uh, This was most pronounced in the ending... Which is so controversial and derided that Bioware was forced to respond with something that felt, uh, let's let's call it baffling to say the least. <laughs> it and weirdly enough, it was not the only game that was going to respond in that way uh, from another major franchise. But we'll we'll get to that when we get <laughs> to that. I think I know what you're talking about. I think you probably do. Oh, Todd Howard, uh, Mass Effect Three had a narrative that at best feels disconnected from the previous two games it seems clear that some last-minute changes were made as to what direction they wanted to take the story in. Because of that, the setup for these plot points feel either like non-existent or flimsy at best. And it's hard to pinpoint exactly why this happened, but there are two things that do probably help explain things. The first is that the game had a rushed development. Uh, according to Jeff Keighley's The Final Hours of Mass Effect 3, uh, the game had roughly a two-year development cycle planned, with a target release date of holiday 2011. Uh, this was pushed back like they were nowhere close to well they were sort of close to meeting the deadline but it was clear that they had to like cut a ton of things along the way because in march of 2011 aaron flynn the general manager at bioware the then general manager called the head of ea games and got the release date pushed back like they knew Mm -hmm. from that far far ahead in time they're like okay no we we're not gonna make this right Uh, this bought them three months it effectively meant, though, that they had to decide when to, to start cutting certain things. And this included, like, reshuffling events uh, that happened in the game, uh, certain events that would probably make a little bit more sense, depending on what part of the game they're in. Mm-hmm. And uh, it also meant that they had to actually cut out major, major parts of the game and make them DLC. Mm. Uh, one of them, very prominently, was they cut out an entire squad mate. Javik, a Prothean, who you're going to recruit during the game, who was going to have not only an even larger role in the game, but you're you, know, you were just going to be able to get him pretty much right from the start, from what I understand.
1: Hmm. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Javik, we'll talk a little bit about Javik when we get into it, but Javik Javik gives you a lot of, like, background onto the Protheans. and has a ton to say in the game. He feels very, very fleshed out, which mm-hmm. would make sense if he ended up ha- having a larger role and got cut. Right. But it's really disappointing that if I remember correctly, people had to pay for that DLC. I don't think it was free DLC. I
1: think you might have got it as like a pre-order bonus or some nonsense yeah, like that. that. But yeah, that
0: sounds about right. Yeah. The second thing that I think helps explain this was that Drew Kaparshan, the head writer for the series, departed the team. Now, he didn't leave Bioware until February 2012, so like a full month before the game was released. Mm-hmm. But he did effectively stop writing for Mass Effect after the release of Mass Effect 2. He instead moved to Bioware Austin and was working on Star Wars The Old Republic. Mm. Now, he wasn't the only writer in the series, uh, and series director slash co-writer Casey Hudson was still involved. But this had to have a significant effect on how the game was written and ultimately played out narratively. And this seems to be backed up by Kaparshan himself. Uh, he gave an interview with Eurogamer, I think this year, where he went into like, the various different directions the series could have gone. And, like, he did insinuate, like, okay, yeah, no, like, I had a certain idea of where this wanted to go, but other team members had an idea where they wanted to take it with, and they ultimately won out. Right. So, we'll talk about some of those different directions that could have happened about once we discuss the plot of Mass Effect 3, but I do find that little tidbit fascinating.
1: It's especially interesting to me that that debate was still going on when they started Mass Effect 3.
0: Right? Yeah, like, that's
1: the huge thing. Like, you knew this was a trilogy. You knew exactly how long it would be.
0: Yeah, they had supposedly a roadmap. That was the big thing about this, was we have a trilogy. We're going to make sure your choices matter. You would think that they would have had an ending in mind, but it's very clear that they did not until they got to Mass Effect 3. Yeah. Though, ultimately, I don't think that's the biggest sin of Mass Effect 3. I think the ultimate sin of Mass Effect 3 is that it fails when it comes to making your choices matter. Mass Effect as a whole set out to break the illusion of choice, but as we'll soon see, the choices you made in Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 2 ultimately aren't going to matter in any significant way. It, it, this wasn't just the thoughts of the players at the time, but some developers at Bioware as like, felt that as well. One right. developer noting, quote, when I played the game, I was pretty okay with the ending, since I considered the whole of Mass Effect 3 to be the ending for the trilogy. But after I replayed it and realized that my decisions only really changed the color of the explosions in the ending <laughs> cutscene, I was pretty upset. <laughs> Which, uh, we'll definitely talk about the the, the color, color choices. Yeah, yeah. We'll, and we'll get into exactly what they mean by that, but we probably should talk about the plot of Mass Effect 3. So... When I say we're going to talk about the plot of Mass Effect 3, I mean we're going to start by talking about the final DLC of Mass Effect 2. Because we are just got to just kind of talk about that real quick. <laughs> yeah, we
1: might as well, because I've never played that DLC.
0: Well, I'm going to sum it up in, let's say, three minutes. Okay. So... Shepard has to go alone, for some reason, uh, to a Batarian system, because Alliance personnel have infiltrated it in order to figure out why the Batarians are investigating this uh, potentially dead Reaper and these Reaper artifacts. Mm -hmm. Shepard arrives there, and she finds out that, hey, uh, it turns out the Reapers are going to be coming any minute now, and we need to do something to stop it. Also, this entire Alliance team is now indoctrinated because they've been working with Reaper artifacts. (laughs) And so Shepard has to, the only way Shepard can stop them, the Reapers from just pouring through the relays and attacking everything before everyone is ready, is by destroying the relay in the Batarian system that uh, this is all located in. I'm, I'm sorry,
1: why does every final Mass Effect DLC involve colony dropping the Batarians?
0: Good question. Yeah, well, at least this time you're doing it to them. Like last time it was, um right. was it, Balak or whatever from, of the Batarians trying to perform like a counter counterattack. Right. This time you're just doing a, I don't know, end of ID on, on him or something. I don't know.
1: Yeah, you just blow up the... Re- like I remember running into the Batarians in Mass Effect 3 and they were real mad. And I was Yo, like, yeah. what are you mad about? I'm confused. <laughs> and now I'm kind of like, yeah, okay. Okay, I get that.
0: Yeah, yeah, because it it turns out if you blow up a relay, it does really bad stuff. It blows up entire solar systems. And so because of that, um, Admiral Hackett, the head of Alliance Command, is like, Shepard, you did the right thing. I'd give you a medal, but you're probably going to get arrested for this. And so (laughs) Shepard does. Shepard gets arrested. And six months pass. And now we get to the start of um, Mass Effect 3. So you're probably asking yourself, what if I didn't play that DLC? I am. Well, you get arrested and are under house arrest for six months because you worked with Cerberus. (laughs) Right, right, yep. So basically that DLC doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah. This is going to be a recurring thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So six months have passed. The commander is hanging out at a system alliance facility in the city of Vancouver where the alliance is just based, I guess. That's where their main central government. Well, it's not where the main central government is, but it's like where the Earth Command is. Right. And um, Shepard is, like, summoned to this military meeting because, like, without warning, Alliance Deep Space Outposts, like, beyond the solar system, just go dark. So Admiral Hackett, once again, the head of the Alliance military, is, like, preparing for an imminent invasion. And, like, he summons Admiral David Anderson, you know, good mm-hmm. old Captain Anderson. Right. Who, um, by the way, is not a counselor anymore. <laughs> You, okay, sure. You, you you want to guess who's the counselor now? Is it Udina? Yeah, it turns out... Remember that big choice at the end of Mass Effect yeah. 1?
1: Yeah, yeah, I remember I remember them making that choice. That wasn't the choice I made. That wasn't the choice anyone
0: made. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it turns out... <laughs> it turns out the game's like, well, we don't want to deal with this. We don't want... I don't know, Udina leading you there? I don't know. So guess what? Udina's now the counselor for, for humanity. Great. Cool. Yay! Sure,
1: that'll go great.
0: Oh <laughs> I would say about two pages from now is gonna go swimmingly. <laughs> so Shepard gets like escorted here by uh, into this meeting by David Anderson and another person, a, a new who's gonna be your new squad mate, Lieutenant mm-hmm. James Vega, voiced by Freddie Prince Jr. and whose traits are newcomer to the team. Yep. And he loves to do pull ups and has really good abs. Yep. <laughs> he is He's very Jacob-like, although he's actually more, like, now that I actually, like, thought about him and, like, Mm -hmm. read up about him a little bit more and kind of jogged my memory, I actually like him a lot. He's not bad. He he is, he's a pretty good himbo character. Oh, 100%. He's your best human squad mate, which, granted, low bar. Low bar, yes, but, yeah, in general,
1: I, I can, I can, I can live with Vega.
0: I can live with Vega, too. So Shepard tells him, like, hey, listen, the reason all these are going dark is because the Reapers are back. And they're like, the Reapers? Are you sure? And the answer is yes, because Reapers literally land in Vancouver and start blowing things up.
1: Okay, so should we, should we just start diving into it right now?
0: Yeah, sure, let's do this.
1: How fast can Reapers move? Uh, <laughs> as fast as the plot dictates. Because last I saw in Mass Effect 2, we blew up the Omega Relay. Okay, so mm-hmm. we, dis- we stopped Sovereign from opening the Citadel, and yep. then we blew up the Omega Relay. So their yep. two entrances into the Milky Way galaxy are now gone. Yep. Then the DLC was like, oh, the Reapers are just going to come through the relays.
0: Yeah, they found one that's near them, and they're just going to go through that one. And so you blow it up so they can't do that, and they have to find another one.
1: Right. Okay. So now Mass Effect 3 starts. Uh, They're in the outer solar system. Yep. And nobody has noticed. We're, like, 30% of the way, at least, into the Milky Way galaxy. Yep. Yeah, pretty much. And then, oh, now they're just on the third planet from the sun. Like, they just skipped eight. Or yep. six. And they're like, we're here in Vancouver now.
0: Yeah, they, they even and skip Mars. Nobody noticed. Not a single person. Not a single person noticed. Yeah, they just literally show up and they start blowing up things. And, then, like, Captain Anderson, or I guess now Admiral Anderson, is uh-huh. the only one who's, like, capable of doing anything. Is like, Shepard, get to the Normandy. Get the hell out of here. Vega, go with them. Go with them. Right. So- and... So Shepard, like, also contacts uh, whoever the Vermeyer survivor is, Ashley Williams or Caden Lenko, because they're also there. And they're like, we need to get to Normandy, get out of here. And they're like, wait, should we try? Yeah, sure, okay. So Shepard and Anderson, like, a- Anderson are, like, fighting away from building a building to get to the spaceport. And, like, Anderson's like, get to the Citadel, get help with the council. I'm going to stay here on Earth. I'm going to lead resistance here. And, like, Shepard's like, no, nah, come with me. You're, I'm going to need your help. And he's like, no, nah, my... My job here is on Earth being the only person halfway competent. So you need to... And you're the only other person who's halfway competent. You need to get to the Citadel. Right. So now during this time, Shepard does get separated for a brief moment, and she encounters a child who I think is the first child we've seen in any of these games. Might be. And this child is a Dickensian orphan who, like, Shepard's like, Hey, kid, come with me. Otherwise... I can save you. And the kid's like, you can't save me? And scurries away <laughs> through the vents. And Shepard's like, all right, well, later, I guess. Right. So they get to the Normandy, and they start taking off. Um, and some somber music starts playing. And a scene that is supposed to have emotional impact, but it, it fails, Alex. It's so It fails it, so hard. It really fails very hard. Shepard is looking out the open door the Normandy, and she sees the kid boarding an escape shuttle. Now, mind you, like, a bunch of Reapers, big and small, have landed on the planet and are blowing mm-hmm. things up, right? And so she sees a Reaper Destroyer, basically a smaller Reaper, that kind of, like, you know, look like the pod people from the War of the Worlds. Right. And shows up, like, around the corner, and she's like, oh, this looks bad. But she, like... There's, like, a handshake, kind of, like, somewhere, like, you know, you're in the bar, and you're, like, one of your friends sees their ex, and it's, like, gonna go over there very drunkenly and say something dumb. Uh-huh. And, and Shepard's, like, no, 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 no. Watches the kid shuttle get blown up, crash, and blow up, and she just kind of makes, a, like, a wincing face, like, oh, Ooh, man. Mm, that's it. bad. Anyways, let's get out of here, I guess. Yep. Yeah. And I know this sounds like very callous cuz we're talking about the death of admittedly a virtual child. But Right. No. It just, just it just doesn't land. It, it doesn't, doesn't land at all. It doesn't and land. You figure it's like okay, is this kid going to come back in any way? Boy howdy. <laughs> yep. Yeah, he yeah, he will. I'll say most immediately that kid's gonna show up in so many dream sequences Well, only two, I think With Shepard running yeah. through a forest While trying to chase the kid and save the kid And it's just like it's, uh, I I totally
1: understand what those scenes are going for But man
0: Yeah, right I, I totally get it, but it's just it. The, the, I, I think a big reason why it doesn't land for me Is they're using a kid that you've just barely met As a cheap prop to give Shepard some pathos hmm yes and it's like well Shepard's already had to like sacrifice at least one person why right. not them why not maybe she sees the ghost of ashley or Caden or whatever right or i don't know somebody who died on the suicide mission if i would or... take Saren, honestly i kind of would too yeah but part of me is
1: just because i like Saren. Saren's great Saren's great But Saren's also, like, a tragic character who is undone by the Reapers.
0: Yeah, totally, totally. But, yeah, so, like, they take off into Earth's atmosphere and whatnot, and Shepard gets a message from Hackett that, hey, Liard Sassoni's on Mars, and she may have found something that can defeat the Reapers by investigating the old Prothean runes that are on there. Right. And uh, the Normandy now, by the way, is staffed by Alliance personnel. Basically, most, if not all, of um, the people who are associated with Cerberus are gone, except for Joker. Joker's there. Right. Because you've so, got ha- to gotta have somebody who can fly it. Yeah. yeah. Okay,
1: so again, we completely undid all of the team building that happened in Mass Effect 2.
0: Oh, yeah. All your squad mates are uh, gone. By and the your way. crew is gone. Yeah. Because and they could... might have
1: died in Mass Effect 2. So they got to go.
0: Yeah. There's going to be one or two you can say re recruit. For instance, Dr. Right. Chalk was going to come back, which is good. Yes. Um, yeah. But uh, you can also tell Chuck was, no, I don't want you on my ship. Which is like, why would you do that, Shepard? Yeah.
1: For what? (laughs) Okay. Okay, cool. Good. So so before we get to Mars, I got to interject here because, Hmm. okay. The Reapers just suddenly being on Earth is stupid. Yes. The whole thing with the kid is just stupid. Mm -hmm. It's fine. It's a freaking video game intro. I can live with this. I enjoyed Gears of War, for God's sakes. Yes. The... What this hopes to accomplish is the most, not only stupid, but it's insulting. And it goes back to what you said about Shepard has already sacrificed things. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: We have never been to Earth in this series before. We've never seen it. We've never set foot on it. I think Shepard is from Earth originally, but it has no significance to Shepard's character from, like, a writing standpoint.
0: Nope.
1: Earth is literally nothing more in this game than the origin planet of human beings. One of literally a dozen and a half races of equal measure thriving together in this galaxy. Mm -hmm. The game saying, here's your stakes, it's Earth. (laughs) Earth is under attack. Earth is going to be destroyed. The birthplace of humanity is at risk from the Reaper. Everything. Everything's at risk of the Reapers.
0: Yeah, that's the whole
1: point. All of the everyone. I don't need earth to be my emotional crux here
0: but alex earth is the special snowflake of the universe because Shepard killed two reapers
1: the entire point of mass effect one is that earth is not special humanity's not special we are all here and we all suck and we all have these stupid pathos that lead us to do (laughs) terrible things that destroy ourselves and each other And the Mass Effect 3 is just like, oh, humanity's in trouble. Earth is in danger. Oh, yes. So that's chapter one. That's chapter one. Earth is in danger. And you must save Earth by convincing all the other races in the galaxy to work together to save Earth.
0: This is not hyperbole either. You probably are thinking, oh, well, the Reapers are attacking other places. And it's like, yes, they are, but canonically the majority of reaper forces start by attacking earth for why well technically this is explained in mass effect 2 because humanity is genetically diverse now this doesn't come up god no
1: it's not
0: and but it doesn't come mind you this this little fact doesn't come back up in mass effect 3 because that's part of another possible ending thread that they could have tugged on but they didn't but yeah uh, it kind of gets shifted into Mass Effect 3 being like, oh, well, but Shepard killed a bunch of Reapers, so obviously sure. humanity's the apex people, so we need to grind them up and make them into Reapers. Yeah, it's... Shouldn't they
1: just be chasing Shepard? Yeah, you'd think
0: so, but no.
1: Also, editors note, humanity is not biologically diverse. <laughs> we have like a 3% variation in our genetics or something, but anyway, that's neither here nor there.
0: I don't know. Considering how often you reuse the sorry faces in these games, I, I could actually believe it.
1: Yeah, that's true. Maybe, maybe <laughs> we are relatively. God.
0: Okay. So yeah. Okay. So yeah. That's my
1: feelings about the beginning of Mass Effect Three. The Reapers show up on Earth to fuck over humanity just because the player needs to care about humanity.
0: Yep. Pretty much. They. They. That's how they decide to establish the stakes. So, so
1: great. So
0: great So we end up going to Mars So like we just got to Earth So now we're going mm-hmm. down to Mars to rescue Liara Upon arrival like Shepard James and the Vermeyer survivor Like they take the shuttle down to the planet And they receive a warning from Edie that the base is like not responding And he soon discovered the reason why uh, Cerberus is back And they're just at Executing Alliance personnel And just apparently are, Have like an entire army now And they're just blowing things up And they're just they're running wild Wait, why are they doing that? We'll find out in a second. Okay. So Shepard's like, Wow, why are they doing this? And like either Ashley or Caden, whoever the Fermeier survivor is, is like, yo, seriously, you, you used to work with these people. What do you mean you 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 don't know what's going on? And she's like, like Shepard's like, nah, I just I don't know. And they they totally do not believe her. I will say this. Mm-hmm. I may have said a lot I may have talked a lot of trash about both Ashley and Caden. Mm-hmm. i think for the most part their motivations and like their just general suspicion of Shepard is not only well founded but done very well in this game sure yeah because throughout the game they're basically up until the point where they finally do believe Shepard, they're just like yeah nah i'm not really certain you're not factually against us right so they find out that uh yeah, there's a Prophian device that was in the Archive Blueprint on Mars that will help them defeat the Reapers. But Cerberus has found out about it too, so they need to get in there, get that information, get out. So they send James back to, you know, secure their escape route, and they run on in there to take him down. Uh, they meet up with R, and, like, they team up to go and get into the heart of the Archives. Mm-hmm. So once they do get down there, though, the elusive man manages to contact them via hologram and basically just gloats about how they all suck. He's like, ah, Shepard, look at you, back with the Alliance. Isn't that stupid? Mm-hmm. I I've, I've figured out a way to control the Reapers. He, he's figured out a way to control the Reapers, and he's going to use that to give all the power to humanity and make them reach a new level of evolution. Right. Shepard's like, you are an indoctrinated. He's like, no, I'm not going to control the Reapers. <laughs> Suck it. Anyways, guess what? Here's this doctor person. She's going to mess you up. So the group encounters this human doctor by the name of Doctor Kor, or Kore, I forget how her name is pronounced. Uh, they find her trying to upload information for the uh, Prothean device, but her upload is like interrupted by the squad, and she like tries to fl- flee. She's like running like super quick, and like mm-hmm. she actually gets in like a server shuttle, but like James like disables it with a kamikaze attack and like forces her shuttle to explode. And she looks like she's like dead and whatnot. But then she emerges from the wreckage, Terminator style, and turns out she's an android. And like she like critically wounds um, either Caden or Ashley, and like she's about to go and like mess up Shepard, but Shepard manages like shoot her a couple times, it disables her, and Normandy arrives, to, like extracts everybody, and gets out of there just in time for the Reapers to show up and land on Mars. So they forward the information off uh, to Admiral Hackett, and uh, Liara and Edie. Uh, EDU, of course, being our ship-based AI, uh, it begins distracting Intel from the Android and they start heading towards the Citadel. So, okay, I have to I have to say, mm-hmm. obviously I didn't like the beginning very
1: much, but the first time I played it, I sort yeah. of just rolled with it. Because mm-hmm. I had no idea where it was going. Mars is sort of the first time I actively went, uh Hmm. hmm. Because At that certain point, the Elusive Man shows up on Hologram to taunt you. Yes. And I'm like, dude, I gave you a dead Reaper baby. (laughs) Why are we not cool? Like, Uh, what more could I have done for you?
0: You know, Alex, that's actually a good thing that you pointed out that you may or may not have given him a dead Reaper baby. Uh Uh-huh. What happens if you give him the dead Reaper baby versus not giving it to him? Do you happen to remember? Um... I believe he either says, good
1: work, or screw you.
0: Exactly. Fuck all happens. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a mechanic in this game called War Score. Mm -hmm. If you want to get the best, truest ending, you have to get 4,000 War Score. And basically, they're like little blurbs, like, hey, you now have a Volus attack squad because you helped out the Volus because of the decision you made in the first game. And you get 20 War Score or whatever. Right. Um, Yeah, You basically get a little bit of war score depending on what you do with the collector base, but not a significant amount, if I remember correctly.
1: I I don't think so, because I'm going to guess giving the elusive man the Reaper, baby, Mm -hmm. was the less war score option, and that's what I did. And I had no war score troubles, so... Nope. (laughs) uh, Also, I gave that dude a Reaper, and then I just... Shepard just left... Mm-hmm. Didn't follow up on that at all. And then like six months later is, oh my God, you're indoctrinated. <laughs> you it's didn't all- keep
0: any tabs on that. It's almost like there's two other instances, literally in the last game alone, where this happened. Almost. It's almost like indoctrination is something that could just sort of happen whenever. Whenever you're dealing with Reaper tech.
1: Yeah, kind of.
0: Mm-hmm. So Shepard arrives at the Citadel, Ashley or Caden gets taken for medical treatment. So they're out of your party. Spoilers, mm-hmm. they'll be back. Yep. And Shepard goes to Counselor Udina to be like, hey, we need to have a meeting with uh, with the council about this. And I will say, I do like what they've... This is probably the first time I've actually liked Udina's character. Because mm-hmm. you can have a pretty extended conversation with Udina where he talks about basically how he's lost everybody he knows and loves. Mm, right, right. Because Shepard, um, not Shepard, Udina being a politician, uh, the first thing the Reapers did is they went to this station called Arcturus, which is where the Alliance uh, Parliament is. And they basically murdered everybody. Right. And Udina basically tells you about how, yeah, no, I just, I was off station, but I learned how literally everybody I know and love just died. And it's kind of tough to keep things together. And mm-hmm. it's like, buddy, I kind of feel for you. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, it's, like, the one of the few times, like, he's not also just not a complete dick to you for, like, the first time in two games. He's like, yeah, no, we need to talk to the council. We need to make sure they understand the gravity of the situation. Majority of Reaper forces are Earth. We need to attack them now. Right. So they go to the council, and the Asari counselor succinctly sums up their views. Okay, the Reapers are attacking Earth. That's good. It gives us time to regroup and build our own defenses. Mm-hmm. And the Council is also unimpressed when Shepard brings up the Prothean device, insisting it must be flawed as it failed to save the Protheans from extinction at the hands of the Reapers. But Liar explains that a missing component referred to as the Catalyst is preventing its completion. They can find out what the Catalyst is, they can make this work. The Salarian Counselor is like, that's dumb, but whatever. But he does tell Shepard they're organizing a war council to direct what their the combined military strength should do. And that if Shepard helps out, maybe they could be convinced to go to Earth. Mm. So after the meeting, Shepard is actually approached by the Turian Counselor. The Turian Counselor is the one counselor, like, in the entire series who is always like, Shepard, you're an idiot. Humanity. Fah! You make rash decisions. I don't believe anything about you. Right. But I... This is like the one time he goes like, hey, Shepard, I kind of need your help because you're the only one who knows what they're doing. Uh... Can you go to our home planet, Palavin, or at least the moon that's orbiting it, and rescue the uh, Turian Primarch, basically the leader of our people? You do mm-hmm. that, I will reinstate reinstate your specter status, and we I guarantee you we will send everything we can to Earth. Who gives a crap about specter
1: status right now? <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> that's the most useless callback that's ever been. <laughs>
0: right? <laughs> it's like, well, cool, I guess. Well, does this change anything about me? It's like, yes, every time you go into the Specter office, it'll go Specter status confirmed. Welcome, Commander Shepard, which is the It's admittedly just like cool. the last game. Kind of, yeah. Okay, so actually this reminds
1: me, I need to circle I need to circle back to Earth because Okay.
0: <laughs> going back to earth already
1: the whole conceit of earth is stupid and flimsy and one-dimensional and just ridiculously human-centric yes but i have an, I, I have two other problems with it one of which i'll go over very quickly so sovereign a single reaper and by all accounts not even like a crazy cool great reaper yeah. uh went almost toe-to-toe with like the entire citadel defense force military Mm -hmm. um and then at the end of mass effect 2 we see just an armada of reapers stretching to the edge of forever on their way to the milky way yeah and we're to we are told that the majority of them went to earth yes okay how does earth not die in half an hour
0: Well, it's explained that the reason why Earth doesn't die within half an hour is because they have to process the people and turn them into basically Reaper fuel. And apparently with the amount of stations that they could place down on Earth in order to make that actually happen, I I think the estimate is like 1.7 million people get processed every day. Right. So I think it's more like they're just all hanging out just to make sure that nobody shows up to interrupt that because they want humanity to be the ultimate Reaper. Right. Like the the okay. biggest the biggest bad reapers they can make.
1: Okay, yeah. I forgot I forgot about the reaping because it's dumb. Yes. Um the <laughs> second point. Okay. The second point is okay. They 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 did they went through this whole rigmarole to be like Earth is in danger. Earth is going to fall. Humanity is on the verge of extinction. You need to help Earth. But they did it in a way that establishes a ticking clock mechanism? Yes. Every day 1.7 million people die. Yes. Okay, now go play an RPG. We need you to go do this and this and this and this and this.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of side quests you could do. (laughs) A lot of very minor problems you can solve in this game. I I personally was never bothered by that. But I definitely did see a lot of people go like, wait, isn't this supposed to be very, very urgent? I don't really feel the urgency.
1: Yeah. It's mainly that it's not that I'm bothered by... By having an RPG to just do side quests and stuff, it's that the urgency they try to set up they discard almost immediately.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, given that a uh, given there is literally a DLC about you wasting time. <laughs> yeah, you're you're totally not wrong about that. Yeah, it. I, I feel like the game does a really good job of establishing like a sense of. Yo, things are bad, and even the small victories that the council races are getting against the Reapers are so minor and horrific that, like, Mm -hmm. it it almost doesn't matter. Like, it's morale boosting, but that's about it. Like, we're still ultimately going to lose this war. Like, I think they do an incredibly good job of establishing that. But, yeah, they don't have the – the urgency gets lost a little bit when you're like, all right, let's talk to Conrad Werner again. (laughs) No, but I I agree with you that it
1: does – Those parts, I think, work pretty well because they are simultaneously, like, meaningful but also futile. Yeah. I I like the tone of that, and I like going through those. If anything, it's just a problem with Earth being that initial urgency.
0: Yeah. but again, is
1: so urgent because that's where the humans are.
0: It, they should have really established, just straight up, like, all the council homeowners are being attacked. Like, right. not just Earth, not just the Turians, yeah. like, everybody. Like, they're just all over the damn place. Like, yeah, by making it just Earth, it's like, okay, well, maybe it's actually not so bad. When it's like, uh, no, it is.
1: Yeah. Is, yeah.
0: But, but then we're going to go to... We're going to go to the Turian home system containing their home planet, Paldivin, and their moon, Manet, which we find is under heavy attack by the Reapers. So they're there, too. They are there, too, yes. They are there, too, and they, we get a cutscene where they are just wrecking the Turian fleet as well. Yep. But we also get an incredibly cool scene where, like, you basically do, like, an active landing, like, where, like, the Norby just, like, well, no, like, I think a shuttle touches down with you on it, you open the door out, and you're just, like, shooting, like, Reaper troops and whatnot. Which I I do have to talk about the Reaper Troops. Mm. I think the Reaper Troops are fantastic. They're pretty good. So they're basically just corrupted members of each of the different species. Uh, Some of them are pretty simple. Like humans are just like zombies essentially with cybernetic parts. But like some of them like like the Batarian ones are messed up. Like Mm -hmm. it's basically a mutated Batarian with an arm cannon that's actually just a human. (laughs) which is kind of ridiculous yeah so yeah all the reapers are just absolutely messed up like like the asari like reaper troops are like horrific looking things called banshees like the turians are like shock troopers that are like surprisingly tough to take down like it's oh it's so cool what they do with like you know the corrupted species and whatnot because they just Mm -hmm. all look so messed up and it's so cool like the enemy What a diversity... cool angle for the Reapers to take. Yeah. Yeah. What totally. a cool thing for the Reapers to be doing. Mm-hmm. But anyway. But anyways. So they fight so they land, they fight through Swarms of Husk, and like the group soon learns that the general leading all this, Adrian Victus, a popular military commander with a reputation for playing very loose with strategy, has been named Palvin's next Primarch because it turns out the Primarch's dead. However, he's at a base several miles away, and radio contact's lost, so they need to get over there and find him. Uh, Shepard also receives a notice at this time that Edie's acting strangely, and so Liara, who's, like, with everybody, like, goes back to investigate, which is just in time for you to get a new squadmate, a.k.a. the best squadmate, Garrus fucking Vakarian. Yay! So Garrus has been up to some stuff recently. So the past six months, while Shepard's been under house arrest, uh, Garrus basically went back to the Turians. Was like, "Hey, you need to take these people seriously. You mm-hmm. need to take the Reapers seriously. We need to prepare." And they go, "Yeah, yeah, whatever." They st- basically stick them in a broom closet. But uh, he still manages to like set up some prepared defenses on on Manet and whatnot, and like slowly they start to like come around to his way of thinking. Just in time for the Reapers to show up. <laughs> and once the Reapers do. Uh, Garrus becomes incredibly important. He basically becomes personal advisor to Primark. Uh, he's on the moon, basically, to help out Victus like, fighting off uh, the Reapers and give him tactical advice. And the second Shepherds, like sees him, is like, Hey, I know you're doing really important stuff, but I'm going to need your help. We need to rally forces for Earth, and we need to find a way to stop the Reapers, and I think I have a plan. And Garrus is like, Hell yeah, I am 100% in on this. Yeah. So Garrus is with you now. Nice. Uh, so, unless of course, you let Garrus die in a suicide mission, in which case oh, yeah. you are a monster. Yeah, you should have restarted the game. Yep, restart the game. So, you fight your way through Reaper Forces. You get to the base and help out Victus and his soldiers defeat their attackers. And you tell the general that, hey, guess what? You're the now the newest leader of the Turians. Congratulations. And Victus, like, he's kind of doubtful about his ability to lead because he's like, hey, I'm not really a diplomat. And I, th- I think you can actually reason with them. It's like, well, Captain Anderson wasn't a, a diplomat, but he made a really great counselor mm-hmm. until he stepped down. Yeah. But um, he does reluctantly agree to accompany Shepard to the summit. He does insist, though, that he can't divert troops to Earth until Palavin can be secured. He's like, the Turians can't do it alone, but I know somebody who can, and that's the Krogan. Krogan need to be at the summit. And Shepard's oh. like, yeah, cool. I know somebody yeah. for that. So, they get back to the Normandy, and we find out why Edie was acting strangely. So, Edie has a sexy robot body. Yep. So, turns out they is. had the body of Dr. Kor. She puts herself in the body of Dr. Kor, and she's just basically like, hey, Shepard. Look, look at my body. Look at how sexy I am. I got heels for some reason. It's um, It's interesting. It's a choice. Yep.
1: It was a choice. It was absolutely a choice. However, I will say, I believe Edie is played by one Trisha Helfer, who uh, just does a really good sexy killer robot lady. You know what she uh, does? She, she was also six on Battlestar Galactica.
0: Oh, yeah, she was, wasn't she? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, you're totally right about that. And I, I do, I will say, I do think Edie's character in this game is good. Like, she gets into yes. robot bodies because she wants to learn, like, what humanity is like. And she feels like she can't do that. She's just basically on the Normandy. Yes. And, like, her, is an evolution of her character from Mass Effect 2 in a way that's interesting and I think is actually pretty well done.
1: I, uh, I agree. I, I like her character arc. But, yeah. It, boy, that design is a choice.
0: The design is a choice and it, it's, she ends up having a romance with Joker as well. That, admittedly, you can put the kibosh on, but uh, it's one of those things where it just feels... Like, you get the feeling that all throughout the games that Joker wants to fuck the Normandy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And you're like, you didn't have to make it literal. (laughs) Yeah. But, hey, it's... Of all my complaints about uh, Mass Effect 3, that's honestly pretty minor.
1: Yeah, Sexy Edie is probably on the low
0: end. Yeah, it's, it's on the low end. So she is like, hey, I'm here. Now I can actually go out on missions with you. I got a combat mode. It's great. And uh, Shepard's like, cool. Also, here's Admiral Hackett to tell me that they've begun construction on the protein device called Project Crucible. And so basically throughout the game, you're going to get updates about how that's going. So... Get the mark back to the council, and the summit begins, and it's an immediate shit show from the start. Because since the Rex and the Krogan are there, the Asari, who are master diplomats, they just pull out. They're like, we can't do anything about this. <laughs> There's no way we can resolve these differences. <laughs> and the Solarians are just like, we are not negotiating with these people at all. And Rex himself is like, I refuse to help unless the Solarians provide a cure for the genophage. Family uh, fair. Yeah, which is like, yeah, no, I I'm kind of, kind of with you. Solarians yeah. flatly refuse this claim, and they even claim that a cure is impossible. So Rex takes you aside, and he's like, "Hey, guess what? I know that an STG team, which is Solarian Special Forces, has been following up on that previous research on ChuChanka to create a cure, and they succeeded." He's like, "I already know this," mm-hmm. <laughs> and so Shepard confronts the leader of the Solarians with this, and they're like, "Yes, you're right." Yeah, okay, we'll, we'll let the cure be spread. You need to go to our home world of Shirkesh and pick it up. Also, by the way, Shepard, do you want to sabotage it? If you do that, <laughs> I promise all Solarian forces will help you. Don't ask me why we want you to sabotage something we were actively working on. <laughs> so Shepard's like, okay, I'll think about it, I guess. And they go to Keshe, uh, along with Side Rex, Rex goes along with you. Right. And they meet the Solarian scientist who's in charge. Morden Solus,
2: Yeah.
0: Once again, assuming Morden is alive. If it's not, it's somebody else. But for our purposes, we're going to go with Morden. If Morden's dead, this entire sequence loses all meaning. It totally does. It <laughs> literally loses everything. If Morden's dead, just don't play this game. Pretty much. Pretty much. Literally, the best moments of this game involve Morden. Yeah. Which, I know, big shock, but... <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so... He reveals, yeah, yeah, we've done it. We have a Krogan female with us that we've actually succeeded in testing Cure out on her. We're going to use her to synthesize more, and she's totally willing to do this. Her name's Eve, because it's on the nose, sure. and it's imperative she survives. And Shepard's like, great, let's yeah, let's do this. Let's get to Chuchanka. let's make this happen. Problem is that Cerberus realizes this, and they send a strike team seeking to kill the surviving female and stop any hopes for a cure for the genophage. So... Shepard and their squad are forced to fight off Super's troopers. Which, if uh, you happen to save Captain Kyrie all the way back from Mass Effect 1, he shows up and is like, Shepard, holy shit, good to see you. Something about the Reapers brings us back together. Let's murder a bunch of people. <laughs> this whole planet is great. Yeah. So the team, including Rex and Morden, escape Serkesh with Eve, and the cures rapidly develop. They end up traveling to Shoshanka to get everything ready. So when they do get to Chuchanka, the Reapers are attacking in force, but they're having kind of a hard time because one, Chuchanka is very difficult to even live on. And two, the Krogan are vicious. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like messing them, they're messing each other up and whatnot. And in order to like diverse like get the cure out into the atmosphere, they have to go to this thing called the Shroud, which is a giant tower that was set up by the Solarians to fix uh Chuchanka's atmosphere but also was secretly used to spread the genophage the first time. So, en route, um, end up, like, having, like, uh, a meeting with, like, Rex and, uh, and attorneys as well. Attorneys are like, okay, we're going to go with aircraft and, like, do airstrikes and whatnot. Uh, Krogan infantry will go in and get you a path to the Shroud, and everything's going to go great. Uh, it doesn't. It goes poorly. Yep. And Shepard's team's, like, forced to divert through some Krogan ruins and, like, into a lair of a huge Thresher maw. A Thresher mod that is so powerful (laughs) that, like, Shepard devises a plan to, like, lure a Reaper Destroyer to there, and, like, just the Thresher mod jumps up and drags it into the ground and destroys (laughs) it, and it's, like, really badass. It's so cool. It's so badass. Tuchanka is probably the high point of this game. Probably. So, they get to the Shroud, but they find out there's some complications, because Morden is aware that the STG has sabotaged it, and they he explains that if they just load the cure in there, the cure is just going to get destroyed. He has to go to the top of the tower to ensure proper release of the cure. But if he does that tower is probably going to get destroyed and he's probably going to die. So you actually have a really intense conversation with Morden here Mm -hmm. where like, it depends on how intense it is. Like, if you question, like, hey, Morden, should you really be doing this or whatnot? Like, if you go down that line of questioning, he, like, gets incredibly angry. He's like, I made a mistake. We should right. not have reinstated Gina genophage. I should not have fixed this. This is the only way I can atone. What the hell are you doing, Shepard? I have to go up here and do this. It is such a good scene. Yeah. It is such a good scene. And eventually, you like, you go, like, nah, man, nah, I got gotcha. you. Get up there and do what you gotta do. And he's like, Thanks, Shepard. I will. Uh then you can choose to shoot him in the back if you want to, which if you do, once again, you're a monster. Right. What the hell's wrong with you? Because guess what? I'm gonna spoil this now. The Salarians are gonna help you out regardless of what you do. Yeah. <laughs> this this is actually kind of a non choice in many ways. At least as far as gameplay implications. Right, right. So Warden goes up there, he spreads the cure, the tower explodes, taking him with it. But Rex is on the ground and he like is absolutely elated like this is the happiest you've ever seen rex he's like laughing and dancing and he's like finally my people can live right unless he savages the cure in which case he's happy and dancing around and he's like haha my people can live until he finds out <laughs> so there's this um funny companion act uh app that was released for cell phones around this time that uh, basically it just serves as, like, a weird text message thing where mm-hmm. your squad mates would send you text messages based on your progress through the game that were usually humorous. It right. was basically a vehicle for Tali, the your Aquarian engineer friend, to send you text while drunk. <laughs> but there is yeah. one that you get, t- like, sent in the middle of all these, like, very funny text messages where it's just Rex saying, I know what you did. <laughs> You're like, ah, <laughs> oh, <Wow>. shit. <laughs> mm. And, yeah, like, the next time you do go back to the Citadel, he does confront you, and you have to kill him Right. if you do this. Now, if Rex is dead, his brother Reeve is just an idiot, and he goes, oh, it's cured, great! And, like, everyone's <laughs> like, Reeve, you dumbass. <laughs> no, it's not.
1: Okay, so I, I want to talk about Tuchanka, because this is, like you said, this is probably one of, if not the best parts of this game, and one of the high points of Mass Effect in general. Absolutely. But it also sort of reveals the problem of Mass Effect. Mm. Because the thing that makes this so great has very, very little to do with you making choices. Yeah. In fact, the most powerful part of this scene, which is Moridin needing to atone for his past sins. Explicitly rests choice away from you mm. And if you do anything to try to exert agency over the scene Or try to make it play out differently It loses most of
0: its impact mm. I, I don't know if I completely agree with that And that's mostly mm. because you can choose to shoot him in his back Right Like you can choose to basically put all his work to rest very definitively with a bullet right but i do agree with your basic premise of like your choices are rested rested away from you mm-hmm. and they they do ultimately not matter and a lot of it does actually involve krogan's because of that like right the, the krogan like a lot of krogan actions or or krogan adjacent actions dictate like like basically go far, a long way being like actually this didn't matter <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll agree with you that
1: shooting him is a choice that you can make. Um, I feel like the problem is they don't really set up why you would make that choice.
0: Oh, yeah. No, it's like... like the I, I guess it's from a sense of like, well, I want the Solarians to help me. But it's like... Right. Oh, boy. That seems like an objectively bad decision. And up until this point, you've had no real incentive to, like, screw over Morden and... Right. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little odd. It certainly, certainly is. I'm trying to remember
1: because I feel for some reason. See, I can't remember why I would have even done it, but I feel like I tried to sabotage the cure, and then Morden figured it out.
0: Yeah, Morden can figure it out if you do. Yeah, if it's if Morden's not there and it's another Solarian scientist, if I remember correctly, they don't, and they just go up and right. blow up. Right. So in
1: this case, it's almost. It becomes less of a branching tree of decisions and more of a straight line with a bunch of
0: exit points. Okay, that I 100% agree with. Especially if, like, Rex is dead and it's Reeve, because the right. end result's always the same with Reeve. Right. You just have the satisfaction or dissatisfaction of either knowing the Krogan are going to be able to repopulate or they're still doomed by the gene of age. Right. Yeah, but otherwise it's like okay, well, there's a slight difference in war score. Congratulations, right? And like if that single line
1: is really, really good storytelling, yeah. But none of none of the exit points even come close.
0: Yeah, no, it doesn't. And speaking of your choices not mattering, we might as well talk about the other Krogan adjacent choice that should be far more major, but somehow isn't. Mm-hmm. we're gonna actually talk about our first mass effect 2 squad mate let's talk about grunt yeah so there's a side mission you can do where you have to go to some planet because it turns out the rachni are back and because they're like very telepathic they're very easy to indoctrinate so the reapers indoctrinate them ah. assuming you let them live right now you're probably asking okay well, what happens if you don't let them live does that mean the mission doesn't happen no the mission does happen the reapers just recreate the rachni and they're indoctrinated in fighting against you. The mission basically oh. plays out the same. If you get to the end of that mission, you encounter the Rackney Queen. And if it's the queen from the first game, you can go like, no, I do actually still trust you. Let's get you out of here. Fight alongside us. If it's the other Rackney Queen that the Reapers created, you can go like, well, maybe I can trust you. I don't know. And the difference is like you get more war. I think you get zero war score from one and more war score from the other. Like, if it's the first Rackney Queen from the first game, it's like, oh, now you have cool Arachne fighting by your side. You'll never see right. them, but they are. Whereas the other one's like, okay, well, no. It turns out eventually they just turn on you, and you, I think you actually may lose War Score because of Right. It. But it was such a major decision. Do you doom this race yeah. or not? And then in the third game, like, well, we don't want to throw away this mission we made for the right. people who selected Burn Arachne.
1: So if you made the wrong choice, the Reaper is
0: literally going to come in and erase your choice. Yep, pretty much. We wanted a cool set piece with Arachne. You're going to have a cool set piece with Arachne, whether you like it or not. And that's like the biggest problem with this game. It's like this is it's the biggest problem. There are so many huge choices you could make. And it's like, okay, well, who do I want for council? Well, I want I want Anderson. Nope, it's going to be Adina. Okay, well what about I want what about the racny? Uh I'm going to burn them. Nope, well they're back. Uh okay, uh, collector base, I'm going to give it to Cerberus. I get slightly less war score, I guess, and a, yeah. I get a comment from the elusive man. It's like Th- then why bother? You so, good.
1: Uh I'm running a Dungeons and Dragons game. and It's my first time DMing. Uh, dungeons and Dragons game, and one of the I've I've had to learn a lot of things to be dungeon master. One of the first things I had to learn was your players are going to do what they do, and if they end up just completely derailing certain events and set pieces and dungeons you had planned to the point that they don't make sense anymore, you got to just throw them out. Yep, you got it. You can't just Deus ex their choices away. So that your game can continue. And obviously there's like special cases either way and it's more nuanced. But like you've got to be willing to just say, well, the this doesn't make sense anymore. So we're going to move on.
0: Yeah, you got to roll with the punches,
1: right? Because otherwise it, the choices aren't real. Yeah. And they'll feel that real quick.
0: Yeah, and I hundred percent understand why the why Bioware did this, right? I understand right. that they didn't want to make an alternative scenario so people didn't feel like they're cheated out of content, and right. I also understand that they didn't want to just throw it out, you know, if you just happened to burn Arachne in the first game. But they should have just thrown it out. Yeah, honestly, I, yeah, I, it would have sucked for the people who didn't do that. I agree, but it would have at least been like, hey, look, a choice that mattered. Right. Okay, so here's here's the thing, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Dark Souls exists. Yep. And Dark Souls is not like this grand branching narrative, but you can just miss shit in that game. Yeah. If you do the wrong thing or you do things out of order or you aren't paying attention or you didn't figure out that in order to find this thing, you have to skip the objective the game tells you to do for like five other objectives and just sequence break it and then you'll meet this guy. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It's fine. People will just say, oh, that's a reason to go back and play it because I want to see this that I didn't see the first time.
0: Games from this era were so afraid of players missing out on things. They were yep. so afraid. Yeah, about that, they were. That they would do anything to make sure you saw everything there. And it's like, listen, it's okay. Yeah. People don't need to see every little bit, every little detail. It gives people reason to go back. No, hold
1: Y to focus the camera on the thing that's happening. Do it! Ugh. Yeah. Ugh.
0: Ugh. Well, that may be the worst thing about Mass Effect, but we're about to get to uh, the second worst thing. Oh. So Shepard gets back to the Citadel, and upon arriving there, uh, the normally receives a trans uh, mission from an old associate separate uh good old thane krios our drill assassin who you actually could meet up like with sooner than this he's in a right. hospital there and you know he's you know basically end stage with his uh his disease that's turning his lungs to mush. Mm-hmm. and he explains that the Citadel's is under attack Cerberus just hit the sta- station in overwhelming numbers and csec basically the police are struggling to retaliate uh thane explains that um the Vermeer survivor, Asher Caden, who's now a specter. Mm-hmm. Udina's, like, named him a specter. Right. Because, has, sure, why not? Yeah. Second human specter, Caden Alenko, has gone to protect the council. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Right? mm mm-hmm. uh, We also learn, uh, and we actually technically learned this a little bit earlier, but, like, the Salarian counselor, like, contact shepherds, like, hey, I need to meet with you because Udina's been moving large sums of money around and might be aligned with Cerberus. And once we meet up with um, Captain Bailey of Seasack, a recurring character from Mass Effect 2, uh, he actually says that, yeah, no, we were about to arrest Udina. And then this all happened. So Shepard tries to reach the council, uh, but then she comes under attack from Kai Lang. Uh... The lamest character that's ever existed! Oh! <laughs> <laughs> He's so dumb Oh my god Kai Lang is so bad he Circles around to being good He is 100% the poochie of Mass Effect
1: God, he is.
0: So I have Refrained from <laughs> Talking about the novelizations And like other stuff that's all around Mass Effect trying to stick with the games right. There's already enough to talk about right We are going to talk about a few of them Because we oh, have boy. to So Kai Ling, he is also an N-7 officer. He's supposed to be like the Mm anti-Shepard. He was also an N-7 officer, just like Shepard was, Alliance Special Forces. But he ended up getting thrown out because he was too wild and violent. And he ended up getting recruited by Cerberus because of that. He actually had a run-in with uh, Captain Anderson, uh, where they ended up fighting it whatnot, because Kai Ling went after him to assassinate him for reasons that I can't be bothered to remember right now. Mm-hmm. And this is per the novel My god He actually like Infiltrates Anderson's apartment On the Citadel to assassinate him But he's not there So he's already failed in his mission So he kind of looks around He sees like a bowl of cereals on there So he eats the cereal Because he's like this is how I'm going to get back at him And show him I he was here And he also pees in a house plant <laughs> What? And then leaves What? What do you mean? What?
1: <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> Isn't yeah. Anderson
0: gonna come back? Yeah, he, he came back to find out his cereal was gone, and for some reason, his plant smells funny. And there you go, Kyling showed him. Why didn't Kyling just stay there to kill him? <laughs> Excellent question, I don't know.
1: Why did he go, this will show you for not being home when I came <laughs> and I couldn't be bothered to wait around for an hour to do my job. <laughs> so suck it.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm terrible at my job. I have oh a samurai sword.
1: Oh my God.
0: Oh Oh, yeah. Also, he has a katana.
1: He has a katana because katanas are still a thing in the space future.
0: They're really cool. They're so cool. So he, uh, he actually does eventually, like, run into Captain Anderson, and, like, Anderson, like, shoots him in both his kneecaps and just kind of leaves him there. <laughs> <laughs> he just, yeah, he just, he just gets... Good. He just gets messed up by him. And then he's... He's sandbagged at every turn. Sandbagged at every turn. That's the thing about Kai Ling. Kai Ling does nothing cool <laughs>
2: ever.
0: So, fun fact about uh Kai Ling. He's voiced by Troy Baker, a very prominent voice actor. Yes. And, uh... One of Troy Baker's fans sent him a spoon that had <laughs> carved in it serial killer. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I get it. Yeah. And he, he posted that on his Instagram and he's, he's very <laughs> nice. proud of it. And because Troy Baker's actually pretty cool.
1: <laughs> P- Troy Baker's all right.
0: Yeah. It's pretty cool. So. Oh god, Nate try so hard to like play up Kai Lang as being like this real badass. Like, cause you can ask Captain Anderson after you meet Kai Lang's, like, hey, right. do you know somebody named Kai Lang? And Anderson's like, Kai Lang, you need to be careful about him, Shepard. He's really dangerous. And it's like, dude. You shot him in his knees. Yeah, and also, have you seen the shit I've been up to? I've killed a specter. <laughs> I, I, I killed a Reaper! Yeah. <laughs> I've done i I've done things. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this man ain't nothing I'm not, af- I'm not afraid of the plant waterer Over here <laughs>
0: <laughs> And god the second you Meet Kai Ling, you should definitely not be Afraid of the plant waterer because He like beelines it towards the council Members and whatnot, and he's about to go assassinate Him except Thane shows Up and basically mm-hmm. fights him off Which by the way Thane is sick and dying Yeah Like he gets shot by like, Kai Lang, And Kai Ling retreats and, like, the next time you, like, encounter Kai Lang, you go, like, you can't be that dangerous. You were just, you were stopped by a sick drill, Which is, like, <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah, nah, yeah. Yeah, he totally was. And, like, Shepard even, like, like fights him and, like, punches him and like, have you had enough? And he's, like, he gives him, like, the most, like, try-hard, badass lines like, no, this is where it starts to get fun. And it's, like, shut up. Shut, go away. Take your stupid mask and go away. God. And so... Not having
1: had any previous exposure to Kai Lang, my feeling was that it felt like a character they were trying to pit against Thane, hmm. like the the evil assassin, that the redeemed assassin, like they're having an assassin fight, <laughs> and I'm just like, Thane's so much cooler, yeah, he is. Thane's, like, a thousand percent cooler than this guy. What is this?
0: Also, that's, like, a perfect encapsulation of, like, their failure to convey what this character is supposed to be about. Is yeah. The fact that you saw him is like, oh, he's supposed to be a foil to Thane.
1: Yeah, I never once thought he was supposed to be a foil to Shepard. Not ever. And why would you? Because he's so lame. No. He was a foil to
0: Ashley at best. At best. Ugh. <laughs> uh. Oh, also, by the way, if Thane's dead and Captain Kyrie is alive, Captain Kyrie shows up and fights him off <laughs> and does not get killed either. He just fights him off. Yeah. So good job, Kai Lang. I mean, Kyrie is pretty cool, but still. I assume
1: if they're both dead, then just someone shows up.
0: He actually does succeed in killing the council then. But, oh, you know, at that point, it's that's so many failure points. <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's just called okay you were trying to get the council killed yeah pretty much you are upset that your choice in mass effect one didn't matter and so you wanted to get the replacement council killed yeah so you stop him he runs away and you you pursue him and whatnot um and shepard actually reaches the council again and i got a tense, like, standoff happens between her and the Vermeer survivor. Because, like, now, like, Ashley's with him and is, like, escorting him or Caden or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so Ashley's like, listen, no, you are clearly here to kill him. Cerberus is invading. You're part of Cerberus. I'm not stupid. I am going to shoot your ass. Right. And you could try talking her down. And if you fail to do so, one of your squad mates will shoot her, shoot him or her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you don't do it yourself, of course. Uh, right. Or you can convince her that, actually, no, Udina's a traitor, and she'll pull a gun on Udina and just shoot Udina. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. It does happen. Yeah. Udina dies pretty much regardless. Yeah. Yeah. Udina gets murked real quickly, because he tries to pull a gun on a specter, and it's like, buddy, that's cute. Yeah. (laughs) You you gave me the excuse I've been waiting for two games from now. (laughs) So... He ends up uh, dying and whatnot. And, you know, Shepard goes to see Thane in his final moments with the uh, Koyat, and Thane ends up passing away. So, poor Thane, out of the picture. Yeah. It's a really good final scene. It is. I really, really like it.
1: It would have been way better if he'd been in the game at all prior to that. Rather than it going, hey, you remember that guy you really liked from the last game that we forgot for the first 40%? well here's his death
0: scene yeah oh and that's like the last major mass effect 2 character that has like major plot implications because we already talked about yeah. it front. Right? let's talk about the rest of our squad mates go all Which, the mass effect 2 squaddies i
1: believe at the end of our mass effect one episode i said something to the effect of i can't even remember who's in Mass Effect Three, because I felt like it was the whole game was basically just a revolving door of people coming in and out of your party, mm-hmm. and I kind of feel like I was right.
0: You are half right. The other half is that it's just your Mass Effect One squadmates. Yeah. Okay. Your that's Mass. Fair. Yeah, your Mass Effect Mass Effect Three squadmates are the new people are James Vega and Edie, right. and then you get Kaden or Ashley, Garrus, yep. and Tally. Yeah, so it's just... Nasty. And Liara. Oh, Liara, right. It, I, yeah, Poor Liara, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you have an really good scene in this game. I should actually remember you. <laughs> she's
1: the Shadow Broker, probably.
0: She is. Uh, briefly on Liara, I did talk about... I, I think it was me, it might have been you, who mentioned last episode mm-hmm. that she's written as, like, three different characters yes. in each game. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to amend that. She's written, like, two different characters... Mass Effect 3 goes back to how she is in Mass Effect 1, just a little bit more assertive. Yes. Like, you would not believe she was, like, a stone-cold Shadow Broker. I'll murder anybody in my way by Mass Effect 3. She's just like, yeah, I'm the Shadow Broker. Anyways, I'm back to being fascinated about Prothean Artifacts. Yep. Uh, She has really good interactions with Javik, if you happen to have that DLC where... Yes. Because she has, like, a real... Like, minds of, like, Protheans must be super enlightened people, whereas Javik's like, no, we enslaved everybody. We thought y'all yep. sucked. Except the Asari, the Asari were sexy. We also ate Solarians. Uh Javik is incredibly cool. He's basically the Shepherd equivalent from 50,000 years ago. Yeah. Um, who basically watched, watched as everything was lost and has a very nihilistic look on life. Right. Yeah, he's, he's oh, he's so good and he should have just been in the main game. Did he say
1: the Asari... The Protheans thought the Asari were sexy? Yes. Weren't the Asari too underdeveloped to be killed by the Reapers at that point? They were. Odd.
0: Hey, you know. <laughs> man man likes what he likes.
1: Strange. Indeed. But all right.
0: <laughs> but yeah, so... Um, so yeah, our Mass Effect 2 squaddies. Uh, obviously, we still have a lot to talk about, so we're going to be very brief on this because the game doesn't care okay. about them, so why should we? Yep. Nope, we'll move on. So... Let's start with Jack. Jack uh, now is teaching at an academy called the Grissom Academy, teaching young biotics how to be better or something. And you help defend her uh, station from getting attacked by Cerberus. Uh, She's like really cut down on the swearing. It's great. Uh, I actually like. Boy, this
1: game just goes
0: to Cerberus whenever it needs to, huh? Yes, it does. 100 percent. When they want you to kill humans, it's like, here's Cerberus. I actually do like what they do with Jack here, but.
1: Yes, I I, I like, I won't say that I like her arc, Mm. but I like this point that she reaches.
0: Yeah, totally. Totally. Very comfortable with who she is and just happy to keep kids from having the same fate as she did. Yeah. Uh, Samara. Samara goes to the last, goes to a Arctic Yoshi penal colony, essentially, or monastery. Which, by the way, uh, it was established in the last game that there were only three Yashi and they're all her daughters. Right. Turns out there's more. Turns out they forgot. Uh, You can basically convince her to either let her murder her daughters, shoot her, or convince her that maybe her daughters should live. Because the Reapers are basically going there and indoctrinating the Yashi because they make very powerful soldiers, essentially. Right. Uh, Let's see. Who else is there? Jacob! Oh, Jacob is the most insulting so uh, i'm going to talk about jacob in, from the perspective of you romancing him as a female shepherd so okay. jacob goes and helps out a bunch of scientists doing something that's important farming or something i don't know and he falls in love with one lead scientist um which if you are romancing him you go whoa what the hell Mm -hmm. Which leads to Jacob going like, hey, it's been six months, Shepard. I couldn't wait forever. It's like, dude, I was under arrest (laughs) and six months is not that long. No. Jacob. That's wrong. It gets even more wrong when you realize that he's impregnated her. And the next time you see him, Jacob goes, hey, I'm going to name my kid Shepard after you. Shepard's like, great what a consolation prize jacob you piece of shit all right by the way jacob decides to do this like regardless of whether or not you're rom- romanced him or not and right shepherd has the same reaction whether or not you're romance him or not which is like can you not <laughs> turn
1: that's actually a pretty stupid name
0: it is also, um the female researcher, like regardless of whether you're romance Jacob or not, if you're a female shepherd, she like looks at you and goes like, Oh, you better not look at my man, essentially. And you're like Girl, listen. <laughs> I I I dated the cool drill assassin who beat up hot topic goth ninja. I'm I'm fine. i I have standards, thank you. <laughs> God. But um yeah, so that's what happens with Jacob. Uh, God, who's left? Oh, yeah, there's also Kazumi and Zayd. Uh Kazumi, you have to help uh, basically unsabotage the Hanar defenses, which that's cool. Uh, the Hanar yeah. apparently have the fifth strongest military in all of the Milky Way, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of impressive considering they're squid people. Yeah. Uh, and, well, squid people actually oversells them. They're jellyfish. Yes. Yes. I completely forget what Zay does. No one cares. <laughs> no one cares. And now it's time for me to f- remember if there's anybody else. Miranda. Oh, Miranda. Um, yeah, Miranda basically is on the run from Cerberus, trying to protect her sister, and basically she is like final destination, fated to die unless you do everything perfectly. By the way right if she wasn't loyal to you in like mass effect 2 she dies if you don't make the right dialogue choices she dies if you do things slightly out of order she dies if you're a romancer and then broke her heart she dies it's actually shockingly easily easy to get her killed but if you succeed in all that you can save her life and save her sister's life from Cerberus later on in the game
1: that that one feels like they wrote the exit point and then built the through line afterwards
0: yeah it kind of does kind of kind of does so yeah that's uh your mass effect 2 squad mates Th- they could have like hung out with you yeah. and did cool things but um until they release nope. a dlc for that uh but they they don't they just get discarded because you want your mass effect 1 squad mates back right of course you do of course you do no no of course you yes you do alex you want Caden back Two squad mates were so much better. They were so much better. They were so much better. They, you know what's really insulting about the fact they give you back your Mass Effect 1 squad mates? Mm-hmm. They don't give you Rex. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And Mass Effect 2, like, they just took your two best squad mates and put them on there. They're like, here, Garrison Tower, yeah. there we go. They already had it. They had it going. They had it going, and... Th- Two's
1: entire point was look at these great squad mates. Mm-hmm. Bond with them. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's their conclusions.
0: Yep. Thanks. Uh, isn't it great? Well, speaking of uh, squad mates, I guess we gotta talk about what's happening with Tally, don't we?
1: Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, so basically So I'm okay. I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on this
0: segment, actually. Ooh, I have a lot of thoughts on it. So All right. Following the coup attempt, uh, efforts are made to speed up the pace of the Crucible's construction. Oh, I should also mention, like, when um, you actually confront the council and all, like, no, listen, Udina's a traitor. The council, for the first time in the entire series, instantly believes you. They go, oh, yep. Shepard has not been wrong. <laughs> Udina, Really, herself. they're just like, oh, yeah, 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 Udina, get him, get him. Yeah, yeah, no, this guy's a dick. Why did Anderson retire? <laughs> <laughs> Shoot that guy. Shoot that guy. So, yeah, uh, Shepard's tasked with me and the Chlorine fleet because, hey, we need as much ship as possible. And it turns out they've gone to war with the Geth. They said, huh, it seems like everyone's distracted. Let's go fight the people who weren't bugging us. Because <laughs> they want yeah, to get back to... that
1: does seem like strange timing.
0: It does. I, I did hear good opinions like, hey, listen, the entire world's ending. Maybe they just want to get back to their home and just rest on it before the end comes. I'm like, okay, I, I guess right. I can kind of see that. Because they've pushed him back to their shared home planet of Rannoch. Right. So, unfortunately, though, the Geth have gotten a transmission from the Reapers that somehow makes them super-duper strong, and they're sure. currently pushing back. So, the Admirals explain that the signal is being broadcast by Geth Dreadnought far beyond their ability to destroy. And so, Shepard proposes that they send a squad aboard the vessel and disable the, like, the signal. Mm-hmm. And so... The Quarians are like, yeah, cool. Um, Here, take Tally along. And Tally's like, done. Yeah, let's do this. I'm back with the team. Mm-hmm. So they arrive in the middle of a pitched battle between the Quarian Geth forces, and Shepard and company board the Dreadnought, and they make their way to the Signal. Turns out the Signal is Legion, our former uh, Geth squadmate from Mass Effect 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah, turns out he... Um, was kind of not with the whole Reapers, we should get to accept help from the Reapers. And so they basically tied him up and used him as more or less as an antenna. Right. So he breaks him out, and Legion explains that the Corian attack drove the Geth into an alliance with the Reapers in order to save themselves, which, good job, Corians. <laughs> um, we learned a lot of facts between Mass Effect 2 and 3 where, like, Corians apparently were always welcome back to Rannoch. They just had to open up diplomatic channels. Uh, right. And, like, the fact that, like, Shepard even, like, just talked with Legion and didn't immediately blow him up impressed him. Like, hey, we can actually work with organics. This is great. I can't <laughs> wait to talk with our old creators. Oh, no, you're shooting us. <laughs> <laughs> um, apparently, they even built, like, a Dyson spear, sphere sort of thing where they could just all live on. They're like, hey, you can have Rannoch back. And then the Corian showed up and blew, blew it up. So, great. Right. The game does a really good job over... Um, Two or three of making the Corians just seem like the worst people in the world. Kind of, yeah. And, uh, this yeah. doesn't help when, um, Legion helps disable everything. And the Corians just launch a full attack. Despite the fact that Shepard is, uh, still on the, on this Dreadnought <laughs> and saying, Hey, please stop firing on the Dreadnought. Right. So, Shepard escapes, um, Shepard gets, like, super pissed at the Corians and, like, is, like, What is wrong with you idiots? <laughs> <laughs> and, um... Like, she asks, like, Legion's, like, hey, can you give us, like, an explanation of, like, what's going on exactly? And he goes, Legion goes, like, hey, listen, uh, the Reaper signal is still being broadcasted. Um, It's uh being broadcasted long range on Rannoch's surface, and so we need to go down there and stop it. And so Shepard's like, okay, let's go ahead and do that. And so they land on the planet. They fight through Geth forces, and um, they end up, like, cutting down the like, the jamming signal and whatnot, which... uh and Legion also drops in, like, the disabled, like, death Forces himself, provide remote technical assistance, and, like, you have, like, a really good pitch battle throughout the whole planet. So the plan works, but when, like, the Normandy bombs the signal generator, it turns out the signal generator is also a Reaper Destroyer, which is a slight problem because Shepard is standing right next to it. Right. So they end up, like, fighting the uh, Reaper Destroyer, but it turns out it has one weak point that uh, Reapers hate when you discover uh, it turns out when it goes to fire, it reveals its weak point because I guess they're also made by the same aliens that were also behind the ships in independence day. Right. So when he opens up the fire, like the entire fleet just fires on the guest destroyer and managed to destroy it, but not before it basically speaks directly. Shepard is like, Shepard, you managed to destroy another Reaper. We're really impressed with you, but you are going to die. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> and like, like, he also, like, recognizes, like, Shepard from, like, carpenter's description as well. And he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I know who exactly you are. And he knows, like, that Shepard's opposition to the Reapers is pointless. They are trying to preserve organic life from chaos and that the cycle must continue if organics are to be saved from destruction. But Shepard's like, what the hell do you even mean by that? And Reaper's like, I'm not telling you. I'm dead now. <laughs> so... The Reaper is destroyed. The Geth fleet is now completely disabled and vulnerable to the Korians. But the Geth unit, uh, Legion, requests permission to upload a modified form of the Reaper code to all Geth that would grant each unit true intelligence. Because remember, they're all just linked to VI, essentially. And their intelligence right. comes from the fact they're all shared. So... The Corians are like, no, don't do that. We want to blow them all up and kill them. And like Legion's like, no, listen, I'm going to be destroyed by this. My consciousness is going to be in all of them in some way, shape, or form. I know we can work with you. Trust me on this. It'll be fine. I'm not going to destroy the Corians, <laughs> and unless they attack, in which case I will. And so you have to make a choice. Either you allow Legion to get uploaded, and the Corians attack, and then the geth destroy the quarians or and like literally assassinate their entire race or right. the opposite happens and basically legion watches all his people die more or less there's also a third choice where you where shepherd goes you people are idiots knock it off and work together which somehow works and they go oh oh okay you yelled at us hard enough and so Legion begins the process of like broadcasting his transmission, but before he goes, he asks Tally if Geth has souls, which Tally tells him, yeah, no, you do. And he dies peacefully, and the Geth keep their word. Now, one other thing does happen. If you do allow the Quarrians to basically be assassinated, Tally is so distraught. She cannot believe this happens and just cannot live with herself anymore. She takes off her mask, looks towards the Rannoch sunset. And then immediately just jumps into a ravine. And it is heartbreaking. Yeah. It's up there with shooting Morden of like, no, don't do that. <laughs> hmm
1: The other, the thing about that scene that's even better is, so we haven't really talked about um, starting in Mass Effect 2. You had the, they carried over the Paragon and Renegade system. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing they added to it is if your Paragon or Renegade score is high enough uh you might unlock sort of quick time events to react to certain things.
0: Oh yes, yeah, interrupts, yes.
1: Um and when Tally goes to do this, there is a paragon reaction to reach out and grab her. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't work. Oh god.
0: Yeah, that's awful.
1: Yeah, it's uh, you just reach out into nothing. Oh man.
0: It's rough. That is rough. So, Alex, you asked me what my thoughts are on this entire sequence. Yes. I think this entire sequence sucks. Really? So, I I think it... So, I I think, like, the ending of, like, okay, no, you have everybody come to work together feels rather arbitrary. I think if you had to, like, make, Mm -hmm. like, a solid choice between, okay, does Legion die or does Giltali die? I, I think... Like, their reactions to that work well, like Legion slowly dying, because I think he still asks, like, if he has a soul and whatnot as he dies, and I think Tally still affirms it if, like, even if, like, all the Geth are being destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, and, like, Tally dying, of course, is heartbreaking, and I think there's a really strong emotional impact. Right. Also, I think Legion dies
1: regardless.
0: Oh, yeah, Legion dies regardless. Yeah, if he gets uploaded yeah. or not. The difference is, is, like, if you decide to let the Geth die, he tries to fight back. And Tali right. shoots him. Right. I have a problem with the fact that the optimal – there is an optimal solution. They give you an optimal solution. Mm-hmm. is just like right. everybody come together, which you should be able to – I feel like you should be able to do that. But the way that it's executed there where you just go, everybody shut up. You're being dumb. Okay. doesn't quite so – one thing. One thing I will say
1: about that is you need to unlock that option.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And you need – it's not just – that Shepard says that, it's that he says that to a certain quarry. Mm. And this, this is one of the things I actually like. So I, I'll i lay out that I, I think this is from a design standpoint, possibly the best part of Mass Effect 3.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: In terms of the way all this unfolds. And I'm mostly going off of memory on this. Mm. And that memory is about 10 years old now. So, Ain't you know, fair. Who, who, I, I might be rose tinting the hell out of it, but as I recall, when you go down to the planet's surface, you first, you first go on a mission to rescue a Quarian, uh, leader, mm-hmm. uh, a military leader who's leading his troops and is come under gas fire or something like that. Um, and basically you go, you go to reinforce him or to save him or something, but basically you reach a point where, You can extract him, you can get him on your shuttle and carry him out of danger, but all of his people are going to die. All of his troops are basically pinned down and there's nothing you can do. Hmm. Um, And so you you basically have to make the decision whether to let him... um, I forget if it's just like, you know, make a noble sacrifice or if he can actually save people, you know, buy people time, but sacrifice himself to do it. Or, you know, you have to convince him that you need to come with me. There are other, there are bigger battles to be fought. You have to let these people die.
2: Hmm.
1: Something to that effect. And it's interesting because it's even presented in such a way that the paragon option is to basically let that guy die there for what he believes is the greater good. But if that guy dies, you do not get the option to make peace between the Geth and the Quarians.
0: Oh, yeah, because that's the, um, that's the, that is Admiral Kwee Kwee, if i remember correctly. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, that's.
1: And in in that case, you do
0: need to choose
1: one of those species to be annihilated.
0: Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I, I got it right the first time. And mm-hmm. I got to be able to save both of them. I don't know. You, were you able to? I was not.
1: Oh. No. Um, and so I ultimately chose to exterminate the Quarians. Mm.
0: Oh, man. And so the,
1: yeah. And that, I thought, was a really good choice, too. Because obviously you have a personal connection with Tally. Yeah. And Legion's going to die no matter what you do. Yeah. But as you said, the Quarians
0: kind of suck. yeah. You have one, technically two Corians you meet over the course of the series that don't yeah. suck. Yeah.
1: And it's like, you guys are objectively in the moral wrong here. Mm-hmm. And like, it's, there's really no justification for choosing you guys other than the Getha robot. So maybe they don't count as life forms.
0: Yeah. And I, I can totally see why you like this sequence so much because mm-hmm. yeah, If you put it down to that binary choice like that. Right. That's a hell of a choice you have to make. Because you're right. Right. You have to build... You build up that relationship with Tally. Right. And even with Legion, like... Like, even if Legion, like, you know, dies regardless, you still build up a really good relationship with him. You learn a lot about the backstory of the Geth and, like, the relationship towards the Quarians and whatnot. It's a legitimately tough choice to make.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um... The third option to save everybody. I didn't see it, so I can certainly understand if it's not well executed. Mm-hmm. That sort of undercuts the whole thing. Um I sort of like the idea that there is a way to do it, but you have to figure it out. Yeah. And it's a, it is an option that is not just make the obviously moral right choice and then later will let you make... Another good choice because you made that choice. Like, I don't know, the Rachni Queen.
0: Yeah, like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I,
1: I, I like that you kind of have to convince someone to go against their morals for, like, the greater good to get to that point.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, totally, totally. Like, I I, I could definitely see it from that angle, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a big reason why that that decision just rubs me the wrong way is that it's a very obvious decision, and
1: mm-hmm. it's like
0: it's upsetting that they there's no way to head it off before that final moment. Right. Right. Because Yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah, and because yeah, it just, it literally just ends up being like Shepherd, like basically yelling at two children, being like, "Stop it! Nope, I'm pulling you apart." <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: And. You know that's fair. It's, it's like they it it really all depends on the Quarians just being on an absolute warpath. Yeah. To exterminate the Geth. Like the, the returning home is almost nothing. It's like annihilating the Geth is clearly their actual desire. Mhm. Yeah. And it's like okay, well so then we're sort of just riding along with war criminals.
0: Pretty much. Yeah, it's uh it's 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 a it's a rough set of decisions you have to make there, and if it's presented as that binary choice, I think that section works so much better. Yeah, probably so. But yeah, for our purposes, we'll say that we saved everybody because we're the perfect shepherd. We're so perfect, right?
1: Yeah, we're, we're the greatest. All the best things happen. However, I do want to say one thing, which is, if the rest of the game had been even like that
0: i think it would have been
1: five times better yeah
0: yeah i agree because
1: okay the end result of this is still from a gameplay perspective is still you are plus or minus a party member and your war score changes by an arbitrary amount yeah who cares a race of people is dead or not because of the decisions you make, even if the decision ends there, like we haven't even hit the final stretch. No, we haven't even recon. That, that node does not reconnect with the rest of them to that final point. Mm-hmm. But the impact is the most significant thing you can imagine.
0: Yeah, totally. Totally. I You have had three games to build up these these relationships and like, right. Like it is a really good point that you bring up that yeah, if it's left as binary choice, like you have, you have one character you've been with these past three games, it's that telltale sort of thing of like, okay, do I let this mm-hmm. character live or I let this character die writ large, right? right? Yeah, there's a real strong decision you have to make here. It, it would be kind of like if you're allowed to make a decision of like, like does Rex live or like or mm-hmm. Garrus live or die, right? Right. Like it would be kind of like a similar thing there if they could find like a good way to do that. Yeah,
1: but like it doesn't even like people always complain about the ending of this game Mm -hmm. and like, oh, our choices didn't affect the ending. And that is true. Yeah, that's exceedingly true, as I'm sure we'll see. But it doesn't all have to ride on the final scene. No, like you're allowed to have conclusions and impactful events scattered throughout the game that occur and have their significance but then it just sort of ends
0: there and we move to the next thing so i agree and disagree with that Mm -hmm. and the reason why i disagree a little bit with that is because i do feel like some things can go unsaid and the reason why i bring that up is because mass effect 3 is very intent on tying up everything with a bow sure like to an like almost alarming degree uh, right. To explaining the origins of the Reapers or who even created the Reapers. We're going to actually learn, learn that later. Uh, right, right. To what happens to each individual squad mate. To um, tying up all the little loose end decisions. Like even going back to like mm-hmm. Conrad Werner. Like, oh, you bought this like one uh, military license in the first game. I can now do this. which. Right. At, at a certain point, I feel like that's kind of being nitpicky and whatnot, because I feel like it's cool that some of that is in there, whereas I think it's like right. really unnecessary that some of it isn't. Like, I don't need to know what the Reaper's origins are, or really even what their motivation is, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Which, we'll, we'll, once we get to what the Reapers are doing the things they're doing, that may make a little bit more sense. Uh, but yeah, like, Mass Effect 3 just loves to tie up every loose end. It wants to tie up yes. every loose end. It's like, you don't have to yes no
1: i i will agree with that i think my point the point i was feeling was more like so much loose so many of the loose ends tying them up doesn't feel like it means anything
0: oh okay yeah i got you yeah there's not like an emotional impact to it right yeah yeah agreed
1: it was like the, the the conflict between the geth and the quarians have been this underlying thing that you have seen first through tally and then eventually through legion and then it reaches this fever pitch and then has this final confrontation whereas i don't know we went to the turian planet and we fought some reapers cool right
0: yeah you know that's that's a good point like i think i feel like um yeah, like major decisions like that, or like major conflicts like that, like the genophage mm-hmm. and, uh, and the, the yeah. Corian geth conflict. Yeah, those those definitely needed to be wrapped up, or at least yeah. expanded upon in such a way that would make sense, and yeah, I do think they do yeah. do that.
1: Yeah, I agree. and Tijonk is another really good example of, we we resolve the xenophage, Rex gets a conclusion to his character arc, Morden gets a conclusion. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, all's good on that end. Yeah, but... Uh,
1: so so much of Mass Effect 3 just feels like, go here and fight Reapers and or Cerberus.
0: Speaking of going places to fight Reapers and Cerberus, <laughs> <sighs> it turns out that after the resolution of the Corian Geth conflict, we're now going to be going to the Asari homeworld. Because the Asari Council requests that Shepard comes like and speaks with her, and like after Shepard does that... Uh, we find out that there's a highly classified artifact that's on Thessia, the home planet of the Asari, that may help the commander identify what exactly the catalyst is. However, the Reapers have now invaded uh, the Asari home system, and they need to get down there and figure out what that is. So, you head down to Thessia, like Liara comes along and whatnot, and you, know, you fight through essentially their capital city, and you get to this temple called the Temple of Atame. Uh, Tommy being a deity that was worshipped by the asari and is nearly as old as them uh and we find out though that this actually was a secret compound that was built around the old prothean artifact that's there and it turns out it's the most prothean artifact that could possibly exist the most complete (laughs) and it turns out the asari are not nearly as smart as everybody thought they were so the asari are set up as being the most technologically advanced race in the known galaxy But it turns Mm -hmm. out in order to maintain that advantage, whenever they would start falling behind, say, the Solarians, they would just access this beacon, get more technology and release it. And be like, look at us. Look at this cool thing we discovered. (laughs) And he'd been basically doing this for their entire existence, which kind of ties back into the whole part of the Asari being like very long living and being kind of very conservative because of that. They just want to stay on top. Right. They want to take things slow. And so like when it gets threatened, they're like, okay, now we discover something cool. Here we go. So what's actually
1: weird to me about this explanation isn't the fact that they did that. It's the fact that they stopped, basically. Yeah. It's the fact that they took breaks and were like, well we'll just wait on the next one.
0: Yeah, we'll wait till from the catch-up and then we'll be like, whoa, look at this. We made but I guess a better that's slushy like machine.
1: A human perspective
0: on it. Maybe. Yeah. Oh. Uh. Yeah, it's it's interesting, at the very least, because, like, the Asari is supposed to right. be set up as being incredibly wise and right and seasoned with technology. And it's like, oh, you may actually not be that. Oh, they're just good at reading. Turns out they're really good at reading. Hmm. So once they access this Prothean artifact, it turns out there's a Prothean VI who's called the Vendetta, appears and And it talks that, hey... Decides to like talk to like Shepard or whatnot. First, it tries to shut down because it detects nearby Reaper forces, and it's like, I need to go. And it's like, no, 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 goes no, first. <laughs> so Vendetta explains that the Crucible is not of Prothean origin. It's apparently a cumulative design spanning countless, galact- countless galactic cycles, stretching back millions of years. So basically, the mm. Protheans themselves never used it because their efforts were sabotaged by a splinter faction within their own Prothean government, basically like Cerberus. Mm-hmm. portion of the Proteins end up getting indoctrinated and fought against them. Because uh, it turns out they also argued that the Protheans should control the Reapers. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, going to go well. Yeah, so that's a bit of a problem. Vendetta also explains that the Protheans learned that similar patterns of evolution and dissolution occurred in every galactic cycle. Basically, every 50,000 years, there's a shepherd, there's a Cerberus. <laughs> All weird uh, things end up happening. So, each advance. Striking pat-
1: circular narratives.
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, so each path of advancement and conflict happened differently, but in fundamentally similar ways, too similar to be merely chance. Vendetta infers that the Reapers are servants of the patterns, not the creator, but cannot identify their true master or motive. Only its intention, galactic annihilation. Before Vendetta can specify what the catalyst is, though, it detects an indoctrinated presence nearby and shuts down. Turns out that indoctrinated presence is Ky He's back! Oh, boy. So he shows up, he pulls out a drone from his pocket, and it turns out that drone has a hologram image of the elusive man. He's like, hey, yeah, I learned about this beacon from the Mars ar- Archive. By the way, Liara, it sucks at your people, never bother to use it, idiots. He, he basically doesn't <laughs> really say that. Uh, yeah, fair. So the Elusive Man goes on to explain, expand on his belief and of being able to control the Reapers and convinces, she, tries to convince Shepard that this is the best course of action. And the Thessia Beacon may contain the information to do so. So Shepard's like, hey, no, I'm not going to let you do that. And the Elusive Man's like, cool, whatever. Kai Lang, kill Shepard. <laughs> <laughs> and Lang does not succeed in this, but he does succeed in getting the data escaping. He calls like a gunship at the last moment and you get cutscene shot. So the Reaper so like Lang is able to escape and Shepard's team have to escape too as the Reapers send to finish off basically the rest of the Asari forces. So after escaping the norm on the Normandy, the Asari counselor, like contacts Shepard's, like, hey, what happened? You got the information right? And Shepard's like, uh, not really. Failed to get mm-hmm. the data. It's so she angrily hangs up and she's like, all the sorry culture is lost. You failed. You people suck. I'm out. So she's like, I'm withdrawing okay. support. Uh, Spoiler alert, she's going to reinstate support. Yeah. So since we just talked about Vendetta and him exposing on, on, like, what the Reapers are all about, I guess it's probably time to talk about... A DLC called Leviathan? Yeah. Because it sort of explains where the Reapers come from and what their deal is. uh, Y'all ready for this one? I'm trying to remember if
1: I played... Did this launch near the start of the game? Uh, It was
0: like six months after or something like that. Okay, I don't think I played this then. I'm going to be very short about it because it's probably more interesting to get to the relevant information. It's apparently a really good DLC to play. Okay. But... You get, you basically detect a weird signal coming from a, a random star system that's mostly like, has a planet that's mostly water-based. And you find out that, oh man, Reaper forces that gone there have like somehow been re-indoctrinated by something else and turned against Reaper forces. Like, okay, we should investigate this see if we can use it. So you go down to that planet and after like meeting some like human scientists and like kind of make your way towards these underground caverns, you run into basically what look like organic reapers. They look like giant cuttlefish that accept, you know, living.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it turns out these are the creatures that created the reapers. Okay. And they basically act more or less like Sovereign Harbinger. They are very dismissive of anything around them because it turns out they were more or less the first intelligent species to arise in the Milky Way. And they managed to get off-world by indoctrinating other species on their home planet. They just possessed the ability to do that. So they did that, caused them to build them starships, and that got them off the planet. And they basically met other species and indoctrinated them. So what happened, though, is that each of these species would create synthetics in order to help out their masters. Problem, the synthetics would then rebel and try to kill everybody. So the... Don't know what to call these people. Let's call them the Leviathans. The Leviathans Uh came up with a solution. If they're going to continuously build synthetics that are just going to murder everybody, we're going to build our own synthetics that exist to murder other synthetics. They will detect when they're built and then go and destroy them so they can protect organics. Okay. These were the Reapers. That's also why they look basically the same. And this is also why they have the ability to indoctrinate as well. The problem, the Reapers decided okay, well, the only way we can prevent organics from building synthetics is if we murder all organics and then allow organic life to grow up and then murder them again before they once they get to the ability to build synthetics, rinse and repeat. So they immediately started murdering everything, (laughs) much to the horror of the Leviathans, who were like, who could have foreseen this happening? (laughs) We built a synthetic race in order to stop other synthetic races who were being built by our client races but always would rebel after they were built. So we built our own synthetic race, not expecting them to rebel against us. Oh, no. The Leviathans are incredibly stupid. And I'm not, I would, I'm actually surprised they did not build another synthetic race in order to stop mm-hmm. the synthetic race. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like the next logical step. Right? So, uh, congratulations. That's where the Reapers come from. And that's the that's the reason why the Reapers reap.
1: So, one day, I'm going to just predict that one day we're going to talk about Halo 4. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to decide if this or the forerunners are stupider. It's, I'm trying to decide which is the worst setup right now.
0: It's a tough competition. Oh, boy. That's dumb. It is so dumb. And it's... This is the reason why I, I brought up was like Mass Effect 3 really wants to tie everything up with a bow. Right. Somebody decided that we need to know who created Reapers and where they come from and what's their what's their role. Right. You didn't need to. Sometimes a mystery is cool. It's, it, it inspires yeah. fan speculation, it inspires wild theories, a lot of discussion and it's cool and you know yeah. the, the, mysteries are fun. And like sometimes it's frustrating when the mystery isn't solved, but that that's okay, you know. That's right. it's a sort of life. It reminds me of um, the first game when you talk to the Prothean Vi Visual and he like you ask him like, "What's the purpose of the Reapers?" and he tells you, "What does it matter? They're mm-hmm. here to destroy you and kill everything. The only right. thing that's important is to stop them." Yeah, and right, that's all you
1: need. Pretty much. I mean, but at the very least, if you're gonna solve the mystery, don't make the solution stupid. Yeah, and so. <sighs> No, I'm, I'm with you. Like if, if you, so it sort of goes back to the idea of figuring, of knowing where you're going when you start. Yeah. If you work backwards and you have the conceit that is the answer to the mystery, and then you build the mystery around that, Mm -hmm. then you can do a really good lead up to unveiling the mystery. Yeah. But if you just like needed an inciting incident or a threat to be the focus point of your story. And then someone's like, hey, why is this sort of thing?
0: Just be like, yeah, it's the evil. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's really sad because, like, at the end of Mass Effect 2, you get a lot of dangling plot lines that could explain what exactly the Reapers are doing. And one that I really liked was when somebody explains, like, well, maybe the Reapers were created because of the Dark Matter problem. Because in that game, there's multiple instances where it's inferred that Dark Matter is causing stars to age quickly. And mm-hmm. could hasten the death of the universe. And right. all mass effect drives, basically ship drives, create dark matter. And so it was like speculating, like, well, maybe the reapers are reaping to either cold the population so they don't hasten the death of the universe and thus hasten their death. Or maybe they're also like trying to harvest these different races so they can get different consensus like consensuses and whatnot. Right. Like, okay, well, let's harvest a bunch of humans. Maybe their mindset and their way of thinking will help us figure out a solution to this problem. Right. And since they're synthetic races, though, they always kind of go in this recursive loop where they're not really solving the problem, but they keep trying to do the same solution. Right. And I I, I don't think that's a perfect explanation. It's not perfect, no, but it, it's certainly
1: interesting, and it's something you can sort of build on. Yeah,
0: and it's also was something that was built on in Mass Effect 2. Right. Yeah, and it's like, but then they don't do that. They do it instead, well, we want to make sure that synthetics don't destroy everything in a technological singularity i guess i don't know
1: right so we built the most powerful synthetics
0: yep and now they're murdering everything
1: i I guess gave them the ability to self-actualize and to find their own course for fulfilling their objectives i guess so yeah and also we taught them to build more of themselves yep and to harvest biological matter and archive its dna inside themselves
0: When Horizon Zero Dawn did it, it, they did
1: it much better. They did it much better.
0: (laughs) Oh, God. So good. So, yeah. Okay. So, mind you, all this is, like, at least, like, the Reaper's motivation is actually explained in the ending of Mass Effect 3, but... Yes, because
1: I did know this. Yeah,
0: but given that you literally can go to this DLC more or less at any time and learn this, I figured this was a good point to bring it up. Yeah, makes sense. So let's get into the end game. So you obviously have to chase Cerberus down and whatnot, and get that information back. And we find out that Kai Lang went to a refugee company called Horizon. They basically just track his ship and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so they end up going there, and they find signs of battle between Cerberus and Reaper forces, which is kind of a surprising discovery to the team because, like, wait, why are they fighting the Reapers? I thought they were working with them because they're clearly indoctrinated. So they actually do run into like Miranda here, and mm-hmm. um, they find out that the refugee camp that was like on Horizon was in truth a service laboratory run by their father Henry Lawson, working for the Elusive Man. And like sure. deeper in there, they find that like Elusive Man was experimenting on husks and trying to figure out like how indoctrination works, basically doing what Saren was doing, right? Right. On Vermeer, which is like ah, here's the parallels even more. Mm-hmm. So they do run into Harry Lawson and murder the hell out of him, <laughs> um, <laughs> and learn the location of like Chrono Station, which is the headquarters of Cerberus itself. So they lead an assi- alliance of armada to assault the station and end up boarding it to fight through with, like the Cerberus forces and whatnot. And so like the base is like full of like video logs that like contain intel on in, like Edie's past, like the reasons behind Project Lazarus and Cerberus's like newfound obsession with exploiting Reaper tech and indoctrination. None that's, like, super important, but it's, like, good flavor text. Mm -hmm. And uh, they also find that, like, yeah, they salvage the human Reaper from the collector base, uh, even if you blow it up. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Uh, Eventually, the team does reach the Lucid Man's personal office, but uh, he's not there. (laughs) But they do find um, the information on the Protein VI, and then the Lucid Man contacts Shepard and is like, Ha! I've already acquired a catalyst, and I have all I need to control the Reapers. By the way, I'm not indoctrinated. I really am not. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, don't worry about that. And so he severs communication with Edie, like with um, with the base and whatnot. And Edie discovers, once again, the protein VI and activates it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we find that the catalyst is actually, in fact, the Citadel itself. So, in some previous cycle, the Reaper-made space station had been incorporated into the activation process of the Crucible to, like, boost its power. And basically, it coordinates its function by, like, sending that signal, whatever it does, through the mass re- relay system so it can just hit the entire Milky Way at once. So, after that revelation, like, okay, we need to get back to the Citadel. Not bad. I hate this. Where is it? I for- <laughs>
1: I forgot about this. I hate this. <laughs> The revelation that the Citadel was actually the Reaper's mass relay to enter the Milky Way and do their thing was so freaking cool. Yeah, right? It was so rad. And then this is like, no, actually, it was the Crucible. Shut up.
0: <laughs> Turns out Shut it's the, also the thing that's their undoing. Yeah, it's, it's no, silly.
1: No, they put it there as a trap. Yeah. The Citadel is the Reaper trap. That's awesome. Right? <laughs> Well, we No, it is the legacy of all those that went before and cycles past. Shut
0: God. I know, right? It's like, it, it, I could see it technically working because they always end up on the Citadel. And so maybe they're like, right. well, let's build a thing here. But it also doesn't make sense because their entire governments always get decapitated right at the start. And right. So it's also like, well, wait, when would they have time to build it at the Citadel? Uh, okay. Mm. So Shepard's like, well, where is it? And we find out that the elusive man, though, warned the Reapers of the plan to destroy them. And he fled to the Citadel and has moved it to Earth. So, yay. Also, Kai Lang shows back up and Battle Shepard and gets murdered. The end. Cool. No one cares. Yep. I just have written here, it goes really fucking poorly for him. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I'm trying to re- remember if it's ever been established that the Citadel can move.
0: Um i don't think it ever has because i remember
1: being wildly caught off guard that what do you mean he moved it to earth
0: he just found the way he just moved it. what are you talking about <laughs> it's a mass relay yeah it mass relayed self to earth uh... <laughs> we gotta we
1: gotta save earth guys Earth is really important.
0: Mm-hmm. So important. Everything's
1: got to happen on Earth.
0: <laughs> Speaking of, time to go back to Earth. So Shepard alerts Hackett and Anderson to the discovery of the Catalyst's identity and location. And so with no alternative, Hackett and Shepard order the forces to gather to the solar system with the intention of taking Earth back from the Reapers. So Hackett and Anderson, like, brief Shepard on the threefold plan of, like, having Sword Fleet engaged Reapers of Space while hammered ground forces land in London. And you see like a bunch mm. of like different species ships like come in through the relays and start engaging like uh, their forces and whatnot. And like you see like the Destiny Ascension from the first game show up, the it didn't get blown up, and that's super cool.
1: That's very cool.
0: Yeah, it's it's a cool little cutscene and you land on Earth and then it gets a little mm. sad. Unlike the Mass Effect 1 and 2 had really good final missions. Yes. And it is so hard. I do not envy their the fact that they had to top it, it's, those.
1: Yeah, it, tough acts to follow.
0: But you get like all this but. flavor information of like Turians fighting alongside the Asari. You got like, Krogan ground forces on there. Uh-huh. You even get words of like uh-huh. Krogan, like Elcor shock troops. You yeah. Know, which that sounds yeah. cool.
1: I want my Elfing guys. That sounds guys. super cool. Yeah. Oh boy, I
0: can't wait to see that. You don't see any of that. What do I see? Well, you see Shepard and team fight their way through London, blowing up Reaper cool. Destroyers and, like, shooting up their ground forces and all that. Uh, Mornith, uh, if you decide to let her live instead of Samara, shows up as a banshee, which is actually kind of cool, but... Yeah. But yeah, um, you find out from Anderson, though, that's some bad news. Like, when Shepard lands, Harbinger figures this out and lands on Earth as well, and positions itself in front of a beam that, like, <laughs> transports you up to the Citadel. So... Shepard and team have to run towards the beam and um, like Harbinger just fires like a shot at them and just annihilates her entire team.
1: Yeah, I think I think we should clarify when you say that Harbinger lands as well. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Harbinger lands like a quarter mile away, staring Shepard down and being like, I'm going to shoot lasers at you now. Yeah.
0: You want to run towards this? (laughs) All right. All right, girl. (laughs) I see. I want to see you deal with this.
1: A freaking eighty-story death cruiser literally goes mano a mano with Shepard yeah. at this point. <laughs> Which, granted, by this point, Shepard has earned it. Yeah, no fair. If I was Harbinger, I'd do the same thing. I'd be like, "I'm going to handle this."
0: Hmm. Yeah, and you know Harbinger's credit; it works. Yeah, knocks out an entire team, and like her rest of her team is seemingly dead you know assuming you don't have the expanded edition uh right (laughs) so yeah you're like oh man well that sucks And like shepherd gets up like super wounded but manages like to Mm -hmm. fight her way through the rest of the like reaper forces just barreling gets into the beam and teleports her way up she gets into the citadel and like upon arriving she's contacted by anderson who also somehow made it onto the citadel and they're in like similar looking tunnels Where, like, keepers are prowling around. There's, like, human and other corpses dumped everywhere. And, like, keepers are like, well, let's take them to the protein vats. And it's, like, kind of a horrifying scene. It's actually pretty good. Yeah. And so Shepard finally meets up in Anderson, like, in this, like, center console area. And when they meet up, they immediately are stopped in their place. And they can't move. And then the elusive man shows up in the flesh. And (sighs) half his face is Reaper Tech. He went, yeah. he went full Saren. Mm-hmm. So Shepard tries to convince the elusive man, like Saren before him, to fight his indoctrination, which elusive man's like, I'm not indoctrinated. Here, I'm going to prove it by making you shoot Anderson. And so, like, he <laughs> forces, like, Shepard to shoot Anderson. Right. And Shepard keeps, like, talking him down. And eventually, like, if you have an, if you did a good enough job, like, you can actually convince the elusive man to commit suicide. Because yep. he realizes, like, oh, yeah, you yeah, know, you're totally right, and shoots himself. Uh, if not, I think you just break out of his control and you shoot him Yeah Yeah, so the elusive man turns to view in, the earth In a
1: thrilling boss fight uh, Oh,
0: yeah, no. no, he just dies <laughs> There's a really robust mod scene for Mass Effect 3 And they actually, there's a mod being worked on right now That like, does like a dialogue tree fight with him, So you actually Oh That actually looks pretty cool that would be cool, yeah. I'm down with that. Right? So the Elusive yeah. Man, as he's dying, turns to view the Earth, and with his dying breath, laments, laments that Shepard could not see humanity and the Earth the way he sees them. Perfect. So, with the Elusive Man dealt with, Shepard, like, sits down on the center console, like, activates, um like, the Citadel's arms to open, orders, like, Shield Fleet, along with the Crucible, to, like, move in. Like, the Crucible successfully docks with the Citadel, but nothing happens. At this point, Shepard and Anderson like just kind of sit together and look at the vast blue planet beyond, and like, Anderson tells Shepard that he's proud of them. It's honored to fight at his protege's side, and with that final conversation, Anderson succumbs to his injuries, and Shepard passes out from blood loss. While unconscious, however, Shepard is transported to another part of the Citadel. When she regains consciousness, Shepard is confronted by an entity of energy, manifesting itself in the form of the small boy Shepard saw (sighs) die at the Reapers' hands when they fled Earth. This entity explains it's the Catalyst, and explains it's the creator of the Reapers and the architect of the galactic purges every 50,000 years. You might be saying, wait, what? (laughs) I played that DLC, I'm not sure about that. The way I think of it is, the Leviathans created it. To, right so that there we go that's how that works
1: the the i i assume that the crucible child is the some collective of reaper consciousness that decided to do the purges
0: yeah yeah that makes sense i i could totally do yeah. that so the anti explains that uh, the purpose of each genocide is to solve the problem it was created to stop. Once again, the total annihilation of mm-hmm. organics by the synthetic races they inevitably create. So, the crux of this... I, I, well, actually, let me continue. Yeah. Its solution was to allow organic species to evolve to the apex of their civilization and then harvest these races, with millions of bodies and minds from each race being processed and converted to new reapers, while the remainder of their civilizations were systematically destroyed. By doing this, the Reapers preserved their harvested races while allowing more primitive races to have their own chances to become great, evolving on their own, though influenced along more preferable paths by Mass Effect technology being left behind. They, in turn, would be preserved, thus ensuring the threat of complete annihilation of organics by synthetics was averted. So... The reason why I hate this plot twist so much, Mm -hmm. besides the fact that they explain something that doesn't need to be explained, I feel like right it feels like it comes out of nowhere now mass effect 3 yes. throughout the game does lay its groundwork there's a lot of discussions with ed about mm-hmm. the nature of organic synthetics and whether or not they can coexist legion right. has that conversation with you as well the problem is is that they don't lay that groundwork the previous two games at least not yes. in the more overt way of like well the geth and Korians are at war or and the reapers and organics are at war. Like you could right. look at that and go like, okay, no, there is some foreshadowing there. And my argument with that, to that, of course, would be, yes, but the Geth and Korians really aren't at war for the first two games, and it's very well established in Mass Effect Two that the Geth are actually pretty cool. With the Corians coming back if they want to, they just need to be less shooty. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, because those elements are there, but they are—they're not foreshadowing. They're side elements. Yeah. Like the the Geth and the Quarian thing is just a thing that's going on because they wanted to write about, oh, and over there is the robot, the killer robot apocalypse world. Yeah. And that's fine. I don't have any problem with that. But you can't then in the third act go, oh, no, that was the crux the whole time. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. What are you talking about?
0: Yeah. It's like, wait, hold on. First off, I have multiple examples of this not necessarily having to be the thing. Literally one of them is a squad mate. <laughs> yeah. And two, wait, when did this come up before? Yeah, it it is such a it feels like such a left field turn that Mass Effect 3 decides to do this, and it feels so unsatisfying.
1: Yes. And also their delivery mechanism is garbage. Oh
0: yeah, having basically the the child that's traumatized Shepard deliver yeah. it to Shepard and be like, hey, by the way, I'm just gonna be very matter of fact yeah, and lay everything out.
1: And just teleport you up into this uh, space dome you've never been before.
0: I bet you wanted to have a real good showdown of Harbinger. Yeah. Well, Uh, don't got it for you. Let me tell you what your options are. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe have a
1: proper boss fight with the Elusive Man and the forces of Cerberus. The sort of darker nature of humanity. Maybe...
0: Listen, I I'm know. sorry. The elusive man is just not on the menu tonight, Alex. But however, the swordfish <laughs> is delicious, and I assure you, our chefs are—they're not trained in making swordfish, but we can figure it out. The, yeah,
1: we we have a hallway of swordfishes, and
0: man, that one's red, one's blue,
1: one's—God, the dialogue fight with Saren was so cool. It was. It was so good, mm-hmm. and the one with the elusive man is such trash. Yep. I didn't feel any satisfaction about anything that happened in that dialogue fight.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, me neither. How do you screw up something you already got right? I don't know. You find a way. You find a way, I guess. God. Uh. So, Alex, organic life is constantly being murdered, but let me tell you, there's a solution. Mm -hmm. And it turns out because... The races of the present cycle have now completed the Crucible, a feat never before achieved. The Catalyst no longer believes the cycle will work and thus a new solution must be devised. So the Catalyst offers Shepard's choices for the solutions leaving the Commander to decide the fate of the galaxy while explaining how events will play out whatever Shepard decides. Mm
2: -hmm. So
0: the Crucible in conjunction with the Citadel the Catalyst and the mass relays can be used in a multitude of ways. As a means of destroying the Reapers, controlling the reapers or render the reaper harvest moot by fusing organic and synthetic life together so let's break those down destruction yeah. of the reapers means that all synthetic life which means geth ed the catalyst itself will be destroyed in its entirety all other technology will be affected to varying degrees depending on the crucible's condition and the catalyst warns while there will be peace it won't last the organic synthetic conflict is it has worked against all these eons will inevitably surface and result in chaos, which, well, we just made peace with the geth. So, d- yeah. I mean, you know. But also
1: this option sucks because you just break all the spaceships. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, That which is a slight problem. <laughs> <laughs> control over the Reapers means that Shepard can use the Crucible's energy to control the Reapers, basically becoming one with them. Because the process will destroy the commander's body, but the thoughts, memories, and consciousness will remain and replace the Catalyst as the Reaper's master AI. The end result is Reapers obeying Shepherd's lead. When Shepard remarks as to what the elusive man was after and he was right all along, the Catalyst explains he could never take control since the Reaper's already indoctrinated him. So don't worry. That doesn't... Yeah. All right. I guess the idea is that if he did, like, replace the conscious the AI, he was still indoctrinated by the Reaper, so he would still be, like, following that AI's directions, I guess. I don't know. Does that
1: mean that the... the... Mm.
0: Okay. <laughs> so, synthesis of organic and synthetic life is another solution the catalyst may present, and touts it as an and ideal solution. Uh, by the way, destruction is red, control is blue, mm-hmm. synthesis is green. hmm So... Uh, is it now? It is. It's very green. Mass Effect has only given us two colors up to this point, red and blue. Now we have green. So, according to the Catalyst, organics seek perfection through technology. Synthetics seek perfection through understanding. Organics will be perfected by integrating fully synthetic technology, whereas synthetics, in turn, will finally have full understanding of organics. By merging themselves with the Crucible's energy, Shepard will create a new organic-synthetic DNA for all densers of the galaxy, bringing an end to the cycle. The need for the Reapers. Now, Shepard can actually bring up was like, wait, isn't that just forcing against their will? And also why hasn't this done been done before? And the catalyst will explain, oh well, we could have tried that before, but the Reapers can't actually do that because it can't just force its will upon people. But you can. Because uh, you're special.
1: What what does he mean the Reapers can't force their will upon people?
0: Well, they can force been one forcing
1: will. <laughs> They've been doing that literally since the start of the first game
0: <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> I really do appreciate the segment for poking poles in itself yeah and then half heartedly trying to cover over them
0: <laughs> listen don't worry I've patched this over I'm expert at patching walls <laughs> You barely knock on it and everything falls apart. God. (laughs) Yeah, it's... Oh, God, it's so bad. It's it's, it's bad. See, this is the big reason why people complain about this, like... Because they're like, wait... Right. None of these solutions really make a whole lot of sense.
1: No. So, destroying the Reapers is the obvious solution. Mm -hmm. Um, I do appreciate them giving, like, significant negative consequences to destroying the Reapers. Yeah, like, you're going to murder your
0: friend and also a lot of technology...
1: Yeah, if you're going to break space travel. Like, I, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. That it's not just, oh, well, this is the thing we came here to do, so I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to go.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally, totally.
1: Um, controlling the Reapers, sure, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, you still sort of have to internally wrestle with the fact that that's what the elusive man was trying to do all along um and maybe he was right i don't know the catalyst sure as hell doesn't know
0: Mm. yeah no totally totally yeah yeah and synthesis
1: (laughs) and then there's synthesis an idea which has i'm not going to say literally never come up in this series because i think it was mentioned in passing a few times
0: It's definitely an expounded upon by E.D. sort of way in Mass Effect 3 where she's trying to seek understanding from humanity. Right. Which, by the way, she achieves by the end of the game. She identifies herself as human. She chooses that.
1: Right. A little heavy handed, but anyway. Yeah, slightly.
0: Yeah. And also, you're just forcing upon everybody as well. But it's okay because you're doing it.
1: Yeah. You're special.
0: So there is a fourth choice. The fourth choice is that Shepard right. can reject them and insist that this, a decision with such massive ramifications of the galaxy and its inhabitants can't be made. And a catalyst uh-huh. acknowledges this, and the Crucible is not activated. And the Reapers basically destroy all the forces that the galaxy's races have amassed against them and succeed in their harvest. Which, if you do that, you actually do get an alternate ending. Which, uh, I didn't bring this up before, but there is a very good scene with Liara early, earlier in this game where she is she's putting together uh, time capsules and mm-hmm. her because she's like hey listen there's a, a very good chance we're not going to beat the reapers and we need to make right. sure people are prepared for this kind of like how the protheans tried for us i think i figured out a way to do it better than the protheans and hopefully if people get this in the future they'll be able to avert our mistakes avert the conflict yeah. and make it happen and if you choose that ending of rejecting it all You do get an alternate ending where two figures, uh, alien figures, actually talk about how they discovered these and were able to avert it. So, hey, that's good. Yeah. But also, no, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. You you want Shepard to win in the end. Yeah. So let's talk about what happens with the different endings. So Mm -hmm. if Shepard chooses to destroy the Reapers, the Crucible fires a red beam of energy that destroys the Reapers on and around Earth transmits that energy to every relay in the mass relay network through the sharon relay and just like sends it out over the galaxy this heavily damages the relays basically destroys them and but it does defeat all the reapers they're all dead uh, if shepherd chooses to control the reapers the crucible releases a blue wave of energy that brings the reapers under shepherd's control just lightly damages the relays and leaves the citadel intact and then the reapers just go away if Shepard chooses to merge organic and synthetic life, the Crucible fires a green beam of energy that causes the Reapers to cease attacking. Um, it does damage the Citadel and the mass relay network, and everybody gets like weird, glowy-like circuits on their face, including Joker's hat. Which I guess means Joker's hat is sentient? I'm not sure. Sure. Or maybe Joker's hat's now just part of him. Yeah. That could be. However Shepard chooses to activate the Crucible, Admiral Hackett notices the Crucible activating and orders the fleet to disengage and rendezvous outside the blast zone. Not sure how he knows where that is, but he does. Joker hesitates until the last possible second because he's desperate to save Shepard, but he reluctantly decides to follow the fleet. However, he leaves too late. The Normandy jumps to FTL speeds, but is caught by the energy released by the Crucible, and Crash lands in a jungle on an identified world. He emerges out, either with Edie or without, and they just kind of survey everything that's around them conceivably ready to build a new life on this uninhabited planet if you destroyed everything i guess so this is where we get to also talk about there is like a failure state in this so war score Mm -hmm. you had to get above a certain war score for any of these options to work right and this
1: this is where just the problems be just just unify
0: um the war score requirements were pretty heavy <laughs> um i believe in order to get like the best ending you need to have like three thousand five hundred or so which you can get that if you do everything in the game if you import mm-hmm. everything from previous games you can get that uh if you want the super secret super duper ending which only occurs under destroy if you destroy the reapers and you have a war score this is pre-patch of over 4,000, mm-hmm. you actually will see Shepard breathing. Like, you'll see, like, the N7 armor and then Shepard breathes to indicate that mm-hmm. she's alive. Which, by the way, I guess also means the destroy ending is the canonical one? Maybe? I guess. What's funny about that, if you want to get that ending, you cannot get mm-hmm. it if you just play a single player. You have to play the All multiplayer. Right. Which people right. were pissed about. <laughs> yeah. Now, I got the ending because I love the multiplayer. I it's on that multiplayer I enjoyed it yeah it was good and if you prestige a character in that multiplayer you get 200 war score which means if you're like me and you prestige 20 characters uh, you could (laughs) actually literally be the biggest failure in the world and just you have 20 other shepherds who are going to clean up your mess don't worry right so that was the ending and people were livid Oh, I forgot. Okay. There, was a, there was an <clears throat> epilogue where there was two sh- like human figures standing, and a child asked, oh Grandpa, tell me a the story, about the, story shepherd. about the shepherd. Which, by the way, I bet you thought that he was just named shepherd after, you know...
1: No, he's the shepherd of humanity, leading all of the life forces to their grandest fate. Yes,
0: and people really gave the uh, old man voice, like, real real shit for being badly voice acted and I will I will go to bath that person because that person was Buzz Aldrin you do not disrespect <laughs> Buzz Aldrin I will that's I fair. will go to your house and I will fight you I will Jane silent Bob this that's fair uh but yeah you get that epilogue and it's bad uh, okay so this
1: this is the final nail in the coffin because okay you're presented with three choices all of which are... Kind of conceptually interesting, thematically appropriate to varying degrees, ranging from, yeah, that's that's what I came here to do, although there's ramifications I didn't foresee, mm. to what the hell are you talking about synthesis. Yeah, right. Um, the endings don't actually affect very much of what you see. And for all the game's obsession with tying up loose ends, it just sort of ends at that point. Yeah. And you don't get any closure to anything that was left
0: over. You don't. And I'm going to, this is my hot take. Mm-hmm. I prefer that to what comes. Mm. I don't think anything. Okay. I, you know what? Whatever. It's done. It's done. It's over. You either end space travel. You either control the Reapers or you do the, the stupid option. You know, cool. Whatever. You know, there's ramifications. There are things that are going to happen. And, you know, your story of Shepard done. You're dead.
1: Cool. Right. Yeah. Okay. I can, I can see that. I suppose I would feel better about that if the hour prior to that hadn't felt like such a dishwater walk down a hallway.
0: Yeah, that's also fair.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But the cherry on top of it all is the fact that, okay, you don't, you don't just need war score to, okay, so. Bioware set out with the promise of your your choices throughout all three games will affect how the story ends, which is a stupidly grandiose promise to make. Yes, But what they ultimately conceded to in order to fulfill that promise was your choices will affect your war score and then your war
0: score will affect the ending. Yeah and you have three choices well four choices
1: right except that the only way that the war score affects the ending is by affecting how many of those choices you get access to which creates an actual tier list of endings yes it does according to the game's design synthesis isn't just an ending it isn't just the green ending it's the best, and yeah, you have to have the most the war best score yeah. choice. And if you if you make all the right choices or whatever, if you get your war score super high, and then you choose destruction, you wasted two thirds of your war score because it didn't do anything else except unlock those two choices you didn't
0: use. At least, at least with destroy, you do get the the image of shepherd breathing you get that little thing if you get yeah if, if you get super high yeah, yeah if you pick control though yeah you're no you're you're shit out of luck
1: congrats so s- synthesis is the best mm-hmm. like the game's actually telling you this is the right choice which have you been playing your own last 3 or 5 or 7 games clearly not that's not how this is
0: supposed to work also, the ramifications, how does it work? Like, okay, so Joker now has, like, machine parts in him. Cool? Yeah, and, like, because uh, he can walk
1: at the end, which was new?
0: Th- that even wasn't even. Like, he got mechanical implants from Servers. Right. Okay, right. I-, I guess the idea is that he now has a greater understanding of, like, Yes. The Machinery and whatnot or something, I don't know. Sure. Like it makes sense for the synthetics. Like, you know what? You right. know what actually would make this better? If synthesis was mm-hmm. Shepherd synthesized herself with all or all synthetics and they gain true consciousness. Right. And then like yeah, the ending of <laughs> telling me about the Shepherd, and it's like it's it's two synthetics talking to each other about, hey, yeah, no, this is literally our God. Right.
1: Except I'm going to throw a wrench in that, which is sort of the feeling there is, well, now that synthetics have a soul and understand organics, they won't feel compelled to kill them anymore. Except we've just spent three games seeing how shitty organics are to each other.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't solve anything, does it?
1: No, you've just created a more empathetic metal organic race.
0: Yeah, basically.
1: Yeah. So synthesis is terrible, and it's the best ending. Alex, what? I- according to Bioware. Alex, what ending did you choose? I chose synthesis because it was green, and I chose destroy. I like my, sp- I like my
0: spaceships. I didn't want to break my spaceships. Oh, I was like, I spent three games being like, <laughs> I am going to destroy the reapers. Oh, you gave me the destroy button. You don't need to tell me anything else. I'm walking up this ramp. Shut up, Star child D- Stop talking that's, about how yeah, like a I can synthesize. Nope, hitting the button. <laughs> that's fair. I like I like
1: DD Dee Dee, though. I uh, I like DD and I like the Normandy, and I was like, I I want to save those two things. You know. So I guess I I don't blame. I you. guess the entire galaxy's robots now.
0: Yeah, I, I can't blame you on that. He's <laughs> it, tough to give up. So, that was for the moment the ending of Mass Effect Three, but boy, right. fans were upset. <laughs> Yep. and the back the backlash was so strong that something i would call unprecedented except literally i think either that year or a year or two before he says as he types things in uh, okay this this actually happened a couple of years before mm-hmm. there's a little game called fallout 3 fallout 3 had a terrible ending mm. and that was honestly kind of kind of dumber than than Mass mm-hmm. Effect 3's. Right. But uh, they released a DLC that actually fixed it and it allowed you to do something else because they wanted to continue the game after the main story. Right. So it wasn't necessarily in response to fan backlash as much as they wanted to just do more. And so they went, well, we can fix a problem we had. Mass right. Effect 3, though, went, oh, yeah, people really <sighs> hate this. So they released... A version of the game called, I believe, the Extended Cut, that came out really quickly after Mass Effect Three. Mm-hmm. So, because many, many different things happened that were controversial, not just the ending, right? And like one of them is like when Harbinger hits you with the beam, your teammates die; they're just dead, or at mm. least that's the, and like at least that's the assumption. Um, right. it actually changes that you actually carry your squad mates back and then you have to go to the beam. Or you get like Okay. Or you get like a, a message that's like, No, don't worry, we picked him up.
1: I think that must be what I played, because I when I played it, Shepard carried Liara back to the shuttle.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Then
1: you after that. You played the extended cut. You, yeah. You were not so like that. Me. That must have just gotten patched while I was still playing it. Yep.
0: Yep, it did. <laughs> yeah, so to do a bunch of, like, l- weird little changes to that, like, st- um, Star Child right. or the Catalyst, I should say. Starchild is this kind of derisive mm-hmm. name. Uh, right. Explains more about the nature of the endings of why these things are going to happen the way they're going to happen. Because people were right. uh, Which... said about, like, the lack of information. It, it was actually pretty information light, if I remember correctly. Right. So I can
1: assure you that this extended... Thing solve nothing. No,
0: it actually. If anything, it made it worse. Yeah. It also established that the mass relays, if you have a high enough war score, aren't destroyed in the destroy ending. Right. Okay. So, so g- guess what? Space travel's fine. Okay. Sure. And it also gave a bunch of essentially still. Well, it was like animated comic book images. You know, like where like a hand moves, uh, that were clearly hastily done. It kind right. of explains, like, oh, no, look, the relays are being repaired, and Joker has green lines on them if you selected that one, and don't worry, the Normandy that crash-landed on the planet, no matter the ending, if you have a high enough war score, it got off that planet, everyone's fine. Garrus is not right. guaranteed to die because he can't consume any food on that planet. <laughs> <laughs> there might be animals on that planet, you don't eh, know. Yeah, you know, yeah, they might have, you know, gone on the dextro amino acid train as opposed to the other that yeah. everyone else is yeah maybe everyone else starved to death maybe joker starved to maybe, death. maybe yeah just garrison garrison tally just hanging out there space nomads yep.
1: no tally tally's dead remember she has no immune system oh like,
0: yeah yeah you're first tear right. in her tally's suit she's super dead Oh, you know, quick aside on Tally and Garrus. if you don't romance mm. either of them, they actually end up together at the end of the game. Yeah. And that's cute. And that's cute. That's a good thing. That's a good I want to just leave one good thing about the ending of this yeah, effect. 3. That is a good thing. I like that. But yeah, they just kind of threw this together essentially to mollify fans, and it wasn't really successful at that. Nope. <laughs> Um, It was explained as being an expansion Of the original endings of Mass Effect 3 But does not fundamentally change the endings But rather yeah. adds additional context According to this IGN article that I just quickly opened <laughs> Yeah That context does not help It does not help It does Because I'll tell
1: help. you what I'll tell you what If three games worth of context didn't make those endings good A patch you put together in two weeks Ain't gonna do it
0: No of course not of course not because why would it that's no. insane but yeah that was mass effect 3 that was the end that they decided to go with and yeah fans were that's kind of dumbfounded and like i i played through the game a couple more times after that because i mm-hmm. i still really love to play mass effect 3 it's really gameplay wise in my opinion the best it is
1: i think that's true my my criticism about it is It's a little too – it's a little light on RPG and a little heavy on just action for me.
0: Yeah, it it totally is.
1: Yeah, But, you know, as a Gears of War type game with uh, some ability trees, yeah,
0: pretty solid. Yeah, totally. And, yeah, they did release a couple of DLCs after this. So one that we went over, Latiathan, and another Mm -hmm. called um, uh, Citadel. Which is right. where you basically just get to hang out with your friends and have additional dialogue and whatnot, and have right. a house party where you literally can order pizza from a Volus. <laughs> uh, I actually have never played it. People seem to enjoy it. It's a good apparently. It's a good send off for a lot of those characters with some yeah. kind of weird moments in there. But whatever. It, it's fan service, and that's okay. Fan service is fine. Yeah. But yeah, with that. Oh God, um, I'm looking on here. I'm sorry. I this is important. There's Kingdoms of Amalur crossover content. I'm, I'm sorry, I know, this. I'm probably going to cut this out of the podcast. No,
1: we might as well, because, oh boy, let's...
0: Oh god, yeah, you can get, like, Reckoner Night Armour... Why the hell did this happen? Oh, oh god, okay, EA is it time to talk about game.
1: EA? Is it time to talk about EA yet?
0: Oh, uh, yeah, let's talk about EA, talk about EA. Okay, fuck EA. Alright, yeah, fuck EA, yes. There, I'm
1: good. So, okay, let... This might get cut out, because this is going to be rambly and unresearched, but... (laughs) Fair enough. um, Like, people didn't just leave Bioware in these years because, oh, I'm finished here. Yeah. Like, the amount of nonsense going on with Bioware, getting... Having Mythic folded into it, getting split up into, like, seven studios, getting shuffled around, all this nonsense just makes project management and staff retention and just all these logistical things that help contribute to a good or at least functional and creative video game so damn hard to do.
0: Oh, yeah, it totally does.
1: And then EA's solution is just throw people and money at it. Throw people and money and ship it by quarter three.
0: Yeah, it... The first game was very notable in the fact that EA basically was very hands-off. Yeah. But by Mass Effect 3, I mean, you, it's just like I said at the start, like, they had to negotiate to get a three-month extension to get this game out. Yeah. And it's like, this and game needed more time. It really did. And EA
1: decided there was no time for Mass Effect 3. Yeah. Like, the most important game they'd release in the decade.
0: Yeah, this is a, an issue with a publicly traded company being like, we need to get this game out in Q1, and Q1 ends in March. It needs to look good on financials, or Q4, I should say. Yeah.
1: Like, I, as an avid burnout fan and Criterion stan, I would rather they'd pushed Hot Pursuit out the door earlier. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time they did that. No, no, it wouldn't. Most <laughs> wanted.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh god,
1: it's it's baffling. It's because I I, I called this the most important game that they released of the decade, and I don't think that's hyperbole. Mm-hmm. But I also it they knew that when they released it, <laughs> like they had everything about this game had been built up so much and there was so much expectation on it yeah and so many eyes on it that they they didn't not know what they were dealing with
0: yeah the the way of the expectations was there and like I I will say this as far as this overall story I don't think there's anything saving this like I think possibly the, not I, I think the decisions for the story were were made well before the time crunch happened. Like, I, I feel like mm-hmm. there are definitely things that could have been improved. Like, for instance, the the whole part with about the Citadel coup was supposed to happen earlier in the game. Right. Rather than kind of awkwardly in the middle. Right. And, like, there's other events that were shuffled around at the last minute. Of course, like, Javik was cut out mm-hmm. and, and a whole bunch of other stuff that would have obviously helped out the story pacing and whatnot. Right. But... It's clear that decisions about where they wanted to go with that story were made and settled. Right.
1: Yes, and I agree with that. It the the way it seems to me, and from things that I've heard, is that they were they were especially for Mass Effect three, mm-hmm. they were made by different people than those who'd been making those decisions so far. Yeah. And they were made by fewer
0: people. Yeah, it it feels like this becomes more of a Casey Hudson project as time goes on. Right. He's the one common factor in all three of games. But, like, it sounds and, like a lot of the major plot decisions end up ultimately he ended up deciding on. And Right. Yeah. You know, it's actually kind of funny that you said that, like, this may be one of the most important games, if not the most important game EA has ever put out. And you're not mm-hmm. actually... Not wrong about that in another fashion. This is this is a little bit off topic, but there are mm-hmm. loot boxes in this game. In the multiplayer. Yeah. And PC Gamer actually pointed out that this is one of the first EA games to contain them. Yeah, EA- that's true. EA helped kickstart the process of loot boxes in games, which they would also
1: <laughs> make it so bad <laughs> that
0: literally the Belgian government would investigate them <laughs> one day. <laughs> yep. Yeah, this, yep. everywhere you look, this game has some ungodly poor decisions. It's amazing. Oh my god! Now, despite all this, though, this wasn't enough to kill the game, like or kill the franchise. Yeah. I should say, Mass Effect Andromeda was developed and it was highly anticipated. Now, was that enough to kill the franchise? Shockingly enough, no. But we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Carry on. It um, when it did come out, though, it was a buggy, horrific mess. A game that was universally panned and derided, and it did look like it would kill Mass Effect. Uh, it was part of a year for EA that was maybe one of the worst years I've ever seen a video game company go through, because that was also the Battlefront Two stuff. Mm, yeah, <laughs> literally the same year. Mm-hmm. Which just just amazing. Uh, yeah, and. Yeah, with we would talk about Mass Effect Andromeda, but unfortunately I haven't played that game. It's on my Steam wish list. The second it goes on sale, I'm buying it and playing through it. And basically if you if all of a sudden I'm tweeting about playing Mass Effect Andromeda, I guess that's gonna be our next episode. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> but um but yeah, it ended up uh, Mass Effect went away for a while, but there is hope. Mm-hmm. EA has confirmed they are developing a new Mass Effect title. That is going to take place in the main Mass Effect universe at some point in the future. Who knows what that game is going to be about, but it does sound like they're going to have to make a decision on what ending it's going to be. Which I'm going to guess is probably going to be Destroyer Control, because you really can't do synthesis with that. Yeah. So who knows what the future of Mass Effect holds from here, but for now, the thing I'm going to say about Mass Effect is that it is two incredible games, a third game that is stellar 75% of the way through, and then an ending that flops so horrifically badly that it is mind-boggling and is still referenced to this day as what not to do. Yeah. And it it
1: really sucks because even before the, uh, the remasters came out, I had thoughts of, going back and playing through mass effect again
2: oh yeah and
1: i i i really i had really fond regards for that idea and then i think and then i'm gonna have to play three yeah and then i'm just gonna have to deal with three yeah because i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to get to that ending and i'm just i'm just gonna have to think about it all over again i'm gonna have to think about what they did wrong and what they could have done better and how unsatisfying this is
0: yeah yeah right and I I played through Mass Effect again recently and it's a, it's still mm-hmm. a fantastic game. Yeah. Yeah, Mass Effect 2, I have started a little bit of that and it still seems great. But yeah, you're totally right. Um uh one uh, Jeff Gersman of giantbomb.com uh, recently did a quick look of the Mass Effect uh Legendary Edition or whatever it's called. And mm-hmm. yeah, he talked about how he, he doesn't feel like he's ready to come back to these games and I'm kind of with him. I'm like I I'm, I'm I'm with you. It's like I'm kind of dreading getting back to Mass Effect 3. I'm like Yeah, I. I'm not ready for my decisions to not matter.
1: So much of the good games is setting up for a payoff Mm -hmm. that just ultimately doesn't come.
0: Yeah, and there's always a thought of like, to what end when it comes to video games? Okay, you're doing this thing to what end? You're doing this thing to what end? And like, eventually, you can get into like a very nihilistic sort of look on it. Like, well, does Mm -hmm. any of this matter? Which is like, well, no, it's entertainment. Don't worry about it. Uh, Yeah. But the fact that Mass Effect 3 set it up to be like, okay, I want to make it so that your choices matter. Right. And then you get to Mass Effect 2 where they punt on all those decisions. Yeah. And then you get to Mass Effect 3 where they have to have a payoff and it's called, well, we built a set piece. You're going to see it regardless. Right. And it's like, you, you should have just railroaded me at that point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, T'Challa. T'Challa or
0: Tichanka? T'Chanka.
1: T'Chanka. T'Chanka is kind of at its best when it's railroading you.
0: hmm Yeah, it totally is. It totally is. And, it, like, the, at the end of the day, I'm still, I still fondly remember Mass Effect, if nothing else, because the characters they created in it are so damn memorable and so good. Yes. Yes. Like, if they were to make a game that was Garrus Vicarian's seaset cop, I would <laughs> buy it in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Like, I will probably buy, or at least be interested in the next Mass Effect. You got me. You got me. But, um... I don't know.
1: I don't know if I trust
0: Bioware to do it anymore. Given Bioware's not really in a state where I'm convinced they can make a good game anymore, I'm kind of with you. Yeah. But, boy, I'm at least going to look at that game and be like, okay, what have they done? Yeah, that's fair. But, yeah... I think that's going to kind of do it for us on this. This uh, this is probably one of our longest multi-part series <laughs> mm-hmm. many, many different reasons. I think for, for really, really good reasons, too. Yes. Alex, you got anything else you want to say about Mass Effect or EA or Bioware or anything before we go? I don't believe the new Dragon Age is coming out. I don't either. Yeah, no. no hell no. That game's not coming out. Oh, no. I don't <laughs> believe so. Uh, do you think... Well, EA is ever going to release a game that we're both going to like. Like, not just one of us, but both. Well, EA. Yes. Really, that says it all. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, everybody, thank you for all joining for us. Once again, if you all want to see more of this, you know, sort of podcast content whatnot, ftp.podbean.com for other episodes like this, including Mass Effect Part 1 and 2. I... You also can find us on YouTube if you just look for Falling Through Plot Holes and also on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. But with that, I think we're going to go ahead and take off here because, boy, it is very, very hot in this room and I need to go outside. <laughs> Alex, thanks for joining me as always. Thanks for having me. Take care, everybody. Take care.